0: Just when you thought it was safe to put on your headphones, you entered the darkest, wildest, sexiest depths of technology. And here to keep you on the bleeding edge of science, tech, and ethics is the Rated-R radio star, the man of tomorrow, the golden stallion of the tech world, Brian Sovereign. He has a huge brain and now here's brian
1: ladies and gentlemen an invited transgender species baby you are hearing right now the best goddamn tech show on the planet today you better believe it and i am the golden stallion the man of tomorrow, Zoo, the rated R radio star, the man that some call woo, the most interesting anarchist in the world today. And you know, I got to tell you something, just going to be honest. I love, so I've been using that new intro music for, I don't know what, 10, 15 episodes now. It's, it's been a little while, you know, it's had some time to kind of grow on me. I got to admit though, like I get it, it appeals to more people. I mean, I still get my bombastic openings and whatever. I get that it, you know, it's a little smoother, a little softer, and it, it can appeal to more people and all that. And there's a the chance that I might end up on some more radio stations and whatever else. So you know, you know, I I get it. I'm not that I'm caving to any kind of pressures, um. But you know, I yeah, you know, when you turn on the radio, you don't need to get your you know your ears blasted out, um, unless you're like me and you grew up listening to Kiss and Alice Cooper all day long. But you know, sometimes I miss, like I miss the really intense, you know. Really heavy, you know, kind of, kind of, th- almost a thrash metal of some kind. I mean, not not that I would call Power Man Five Thousand thrash metal, but you know, we used to do the intro with Super Villain. Maybe every once in a while, I'm going to sneak that little baby in here and there, and then you know, just to get it because I, I just I love that intensity. I love getting in that energy. And one of the things that people say they love about Sovereign Tech is not just the uh, you know very unique uh, uh, opinions and aspects of science and technology that get brought up on, on this show. But uh, yeah, they love the energy. You know, I know people that work out to this show and, and you know, they're, they're, these are the same people who normally what they would work out to is some heavy metal, right? Because you want that intensity, but they're like, Oh no, no golden stallions got all the intensity. I need baby. And of course I imagine some people listen to the show to others. Well, I don't imagine. I know <laughs> they do some other things, but ooh, we're not going there right now, right now. It is time to get into the foreplay because we got a lot to cover in this episode. A lot of stories that have a lot of nuance. And so I feel the need to read quite a bit about them. Um, So that's, you know, that's something that's coming in this episode. I just want you to be aware of that. So I want to make sure we get the maximum amount of time to do it. But all of these are very, very interesting subjects. And then. You know, just to put on the tease for the climax. I mean, when you start the foreplay, of course, you immediately start thinking, well, what the hell's the, the climax going to be like? Right. Whether it's a podcast or whew, if it's in the bedroom. Well, let me tell you what the climax is going to be. I'm going to tell you a little story. I'm going to tell you a little story about the, the first time. Well, maybe it wasn't the first time, but the first time that I can remember anyway, and that I conscious or more or less consciously was effectively in the in the local newspaper as a young man. And uh, and I, I'm going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay it all out. This is I mean, this is high school drama that 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 spread into the entire town. I mean, it was, it was really something else. So. All right, well, that's enough. I I feel like I'm, I'm teasing and you might think, oh, what's so interesting about high school drama? Usually nothing, but I think that this is a fun story. Uh, so I'm going to tell it to you later on during the climax. But Right now, we got tons of science and tech to get into. And yes, it is going to be an admixture of both. And it's the best of both. But let's get right into it and, you know, kind of following up on something we've talked about and and really that we, we've kept updating on, uh, you know, over time. And that is, you know, in many ways, the... Uh, uh how shall we put this the know, the the tragedy the travesty the <laughs> of samsung last year uh i mean even though they ended up doing great you know like they're still doing bank they're still really the number two smartphone company uh in the world you know right underneath uh, apple even though for a little while there they're actually you know getting a cut above but of course what happened last year with samsung was they had that massive debacle with the galaxy note 7 and they are and them literally exploding due to defective batteries uh now the the galaxy not note 8 but the S8 series is going to be released uh, very soon. Some people are expecting these phones to actually be interesting because, frankly, phones have not been interesting in a while. Uh, but here, here's this part of, of the phone business is interesting because, I mean, a failure of this scale, like with the Note 7, I mean, just generally doesn't happen. That's why we keep talking about it. But this month uh, or I, I think it's actually going to start in April. Um, and this is not an April fool's joke. Okay. But in April, Samsung is finally going to be sending out the OTAs, the over the air updates that will, uh, will, will finally like just make all of the remaining note sevens out there that have not been returned. And that's important. All the remaining note sevens that are, that have not been returned are going to get a software update that won't let them charge at all. Now. There's a couple, I mean, this is going to kill those phones completely. Like it really will. Now, I mean, some people could say they're, they're, you know, rocking out some kind of custom firmware or something on them. Okay. If you did that, then obviously this doesn't apply to you at all. <laughs> right? That, that should be, that should go without saying. Uh, but for some reason, whenever I don't mention that, well, I could actually do it with this. I get emails and it's like, you realize we're we're talking in in broad strokes here because we're you know not even spending 10 minutes on the subject. Uh but whatever. Anyway, I get it. You know, people want to be technical and it's a tech show so. <laughs> sure. Um now what's interesting is that this is designed to effectively kill uh these devices. Yeah, and and what kind of struck me so two things. One is is that apparently the Note 7s that did get returned because Again, they recalled all of them. They just said, scrap the whole goddamn line and recall every single one. It wasn't just like the defective ones. So the Note 7 should not be out there, except what Samsung has done. And granted, this is kind of smart. I just don't understand how exactly they're pulling this off. Well, I kind of know how they're pulling it off because what I'm about to talk about won't be in America. Um, They are actually going going to refurbish and resell, likely with a very different name all the note sevens that they collected and that obviously they fixed the battery in, or at least you hope they fixed the battery in it. So it's not going to be a total write-off. And this is interesting because really like a lot of people are going to be able to get their hands on what is frankly a great phone and not a very old phone at that. What is it? Even six months old. You know, would it be at this point if it was still out in the wild, uh, you know, probably for a, a heavily discounted price, just to offset, you know, the, the, the <laughs> well, the recall costs, And everything. So it's a smart move on Samsung's part, admittedly, but they they know better than to even dream of bringing it to America just because, well, I mean, the American government is so anti business, you know, or well. You know what I mean? It is. It's anti-business Okay, (laughs) that that it'll well, it's anti-consumer, too, really, because, you know, pretty much any all those restrictions, you know, that you put on businesses that generally more affect small businesses than they do large ones, uh, you know, at the end of the day, hurt the consumer. Um, So it's oh, man, yeah. It, like I said it's a smart move but that's very interesting but now here you know that they're gonna gonna effectively resell them and and of course I mean that that just makes total sense you know replace the batteries in it fix it and you've got all these great innards do something with those goddamn things uh, now however the kind of the other part of this and this is the part that I don't hear anybody else talk about and when somebody doesn't talk about it that's when I feel emboldened to do this show, isn't it interesting that this whole thing could have been solved very quickly, very easily, probably a lot more inexpensively than doing an entire recall program if they still had removable batteries, but they don't. And that's intriguing to me that, that the removal, like I always felt so I have, I have, it's called the dark Android project. Okay. You can go to darkandroid.info dot info to read more about it. And I I have to update it. I actually have plans uh, for that. So it's a little outdated, but one of the things that I mentioned in the dark Android uh, uh, project and something, I actually did a dark Android blog for like a year in 2015. If you know, when you read that, like every time I reviewed a phone, the thing I always looked for was, does it have a SIM card or not a SIM card? I'm sorry. Does it have a micro SD card slot? Not a huge deal necessarily, but OK, you know, that's one thing. And then the other thing was, does it have a removable battery? Because if it didn't have either, I took points off for it because having neither of those, you know, the micro SD card slot or the or the removable battery, you lost a degree of control because of the micro SD card slot. It's very easy to put custom firmware and software onto onto a smartphone and with a battery with removable battery. Well, I mean, you know, the, the advantages there are, are endless. But here's the thing is that. This is exactly what we were concerned What years ago, and this is now, you know, two, three years ago, where I said, you don't want phones to not have removable batteries anymore. Um, This is one of the concerns is that, well, you know, what they could do is is they could send some kind of like, you know, they could do an OTA, an over-the-air update that would effectively, you know, brick your phone. Either it would brick it completely, or it could do what Samsung's doing with all the Note 7s that are left in the wild, and it's making it so they can't charge. Just something that simple. Something that could almost look like to some people, it could look like just a, you know, a failure with the phone or something. Uh, I mean, this is this is that loss of control when everything gets so tightly integrated and you don't have the option to pull out and replace parts. This is exactly what goes down. And unfortunately, kind of the last holdout that had, frankly, both the micro SD card slot and the removable battery was the LG G series which the past one was the G5, um, the G6, it apparent, as far as I understand, it does not have the removable battery anymore. It might still have the micro SD card slot. Phones are still getting those that that's still somewhat popular and people are bringing them back. The, the micro SD card slot only went away, in my opinion, because uh, Android six was was limiting the ability of of the micro SD card slot. But then they backpedaled on all that, um, you know, on how that works. So You know, and and the reasons behind that, well, you know, that that gets into an argument probably similar to the one that we're having about batteries here. Uh, But be clear here that this is I mean, because if if the Note 7 had a removable battery, yes. First off, Samsung could have just shipped out new batteries, you know, that that weren't defective, Um, you know, as long as I mean. And as far as we know, yes, it was the battery. It wasn't something that was, you know, part of the the phone's innards uh, that was connecting to the battery. So. You know, because if it was just that, maybe you'd think they could do some kind of software update to fix it all. Uh, but, you know, besides that, what you could have done is, is even if Samsung put out this OTA that would, you know, keep your phone from charging, you could just pull the battery out and charge it manually. You know, charge it yourself without it being in the phone. Just have a little dock of some kind and you can get those that'll charge anything. So, yeah, I think this proves a point that when you have an enclosed battery, you know, a battery you can't pull, you just lost control of your device. And the note sevens are the proof of that. So we're not, I mean, this seems to be, you know, over the past like three, four years, I mean, and you could say this has been going on forever, but really in the tech world over the past three or four years, all the conspiracy theories, like your TVs watching you, all these different things that people talk about, uh, that were going on, you know, are no longer conspiracy theories. They're, they're really, really not. Uh, you know, the idea that, oh, you're losing control of your device. Oh, yeah. No, they would never send, uh, uh, you know, uh, some kind of software update out that would shut down your device. Oh, yeah. Samsung just did. Yes, I get why they're doing it. I understand. It's a safety thing. It makes sense to some degree for a business to do this. But what it really makes sense for a business to do in the first place is to have removable fucking parts so you don't have to do the entire recall program. So I just, I found that to be, uh, you know, absolutely, you know, absolutely fascinating. As soon as I read that they're going to finally put that out there, like my mind just instantly said, God damn it. If I had a removable battery, it wouldn't be a problem, but Hey, you know, note seven owners, you don't, but now while we're on the subject of Samsung, um, the, like I said, the S eight is going to be coming out. And one of the primary features being touted with this is another virtual assistant, because for fuck's sake, we needed another virtual assistant, please. Cortana, Siri, Facebook, m Uh, fuck, who else? Alexa, you know, whatever. We, we, you aren't enough. I need more in my life. I need a harem of virtual assistants. I I don't know what the hell they're thinking. Anyway, so Bixby is the name of the new one, which, I mean, kudos for it, I guess, for kind of having a, a male name because, yeah, it was a little... You know, what the hell with naming them all after women and, you know, like, oh, yes, the woman will serve me. Right. Which is, of course, nonsense. Um, so, I mean, Samsung. OK, let's be clear on this. If you ever watch like a Samsung, what is it? They're un- unwrapped or unboxed events. Maybe it's unboxed. Uh, that's like their, their big, you know, press conference that they hold effectively or, you know, their big conference event, whatever, kind of like, uh, you know, Google IO or WWDC or whatever. Um, like the, they've definitely had some problems with, I mean, come on, I, I don't care what persuasion you or you know, ideological persuasion you happen to be. They, they lay out some sexist shit. Like, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's downright offensive to men and women straight up. Okay, Um, and so I think they need to be a little more conscious of these things. So so maybe that's what's going on. Maybe they're trying hard, uh, you know, to to fix up their image after the fiasco that we were just describing about the Note 7. I could believe it. But anyway, that's the name isn't what matters. So the difference apparently with Bixby as compared to Cortana, Siri, you know, and all the rest of them is that these Bixby Is more like what it'll do, and and here's the problem. So Samsung has okay, let me finish what Bixby does. Bixby turns your what is a touch action for a certain app, and it it's supposed to make it a very efficient way of you to do with voice, even if voice wasn't necessarily programmed for it. That's my understanding of how Bixby is supposed to work. Okay. And and I'm not saying that that's a terrible idea. I mean, I get it. I've heard the good arguments for voice commands and there are some, unfortunately, you know, all of your voice, uh, you know, everything you say to your phone, uh, you know, can and will be used against you in a court of law, uh, which of course is the real problem, isn't it? But, <laughs> but anyway, um, you know, part of the problem with Samsung is that they have like a bunch of different features that they bake into their phones. But usually those features like, you know, I don't know, like the eye scrolling or which they've taken out and, you know, all these different things usually only work with Samsung's apps. Problem is, a lot of Samsung apps, not all, some people love them and I understand that. okay. but a lot of their apps are very lackluster or at the very least inferior to some other products that are out there, perhaps more dedicated products. Uh, So like all these fancy features that Samsung tries to sell you on works with practically nothing. So it'll be interesting to see just how well Bixby works. But I, the basic idea that I got is it's supposed to, uh, you know, like really, really make it so that whatever you want to do, there is some kind of a voice command for it, no matter what it is on the phone. Um, and you know, the good argument I've heard for voice commands is is a respectable one, in my opinion. It was actually by Gina Trapani, uh, who's one of the star uh, creators of Lifehacker. Um, I I think she's great. She uh, you know, she said that she does voice commands. She likes to interact. I mean, she's big on Google stuff and whatever. That's fine. Uh, you know, for her, I get it. Um. But, you know, she uses voice commands a lot, like with Google, you know, Google Now, Google Assistant, whatever. And that is so that her child, because she works from home, her child can understand what she's doing instead of just seeing her mother staring at a screen and just moving her fingers and having no clue of what's going on. This way, her daughter under, I think it was her daughter or her son. Well, anyway, her child, you know, has has a concept of what exactly her, you know, the mother does. And, and I, I think that that's like that argument sits well with me. Really, it does. Like, I I totally understand that. And I've talked about that for years, you know, on Sovereign Tech, that that was the first argument where I was like, okay, yeah, I get it with voice commands now. That makes sense to me because, you know, we're not aboard the Enterprise or anything. Uh, So... Anyway, we'll see what happens with Bixby. I get it, but I am not hopeful about the, the whole Samsung line uh, really uh, at all. So anyway, not much more really to say on that. Uh, here's another thing, you know, we just mentioned about, the, you know, something not being an April Fool's joke. I want to be really clear on this. This is also not an April Fool's joke, um, though I quadruple checked to make sure. And that is on April 1st, 12,017 HE, Woo! Holocene era, baby, uh, th- that's this year. Amazon will start collecting sales tax from every state in the United States. Now that has a sales tax. Okay. So there were holdouts for this. That's not to say Amazon, this started a long time ago. In fact, I even remember doing a call into uh, to free talk live about it. Um, and it looked like Amazon was fighting having to collect sales tax. But I think what happened is, you know, a couple of years further down the line, they pretty much just stopped fighting. They realized that at the end of the day, which is true, you know, having Amazon collect sales tax, you know, pushing that for online businesses is only going to hurt small businesses. And Amazon, by that point, let's say this is like, uh, you know, 2013, 2014, which is when I started predicting that Amazon was going to be uh, the real tech giant, the biggest tech company in the world. You know, the Amazon world domination tour, as I call it. Um, You know, at that same time, I was like, no, no, they're entrenched. They're set now. And I think they realize that. And that's why they're like, all right, fine. We'll start collecting sales tax. So the the states that were actually holding out for this were uh Hawaii. Idaho, Maine uh, and New Mexico. So those are the ones that have a sales tax, but they were not um, enforcing Amazon to, you know, to collect it. Now, now Amazon is they're going to get sales tax across the board. And Amazon certainly has. You know, all of the all of the manpower in the world these days, you know, to be able to, to, to figure out the complex math, because that was the argument that Amazon was making. It's like, look, if we have to do different tax structures within one country, this is going to be so complex. We can't really do it. This is going to be a pain in the ass. And, you know, Amazon is really, I guess, at that point now to where no, it, it's not that, mu- not that pay- much of a pain in the ass. I mean, who knows? Maybe they fucking figured out some kind of algorithm that that'll that'll do all their taxes for them. <laughs> That's pretty much how it's done anyway, uh, you know, by and large in other ways. But now understand, though, is that some some tech commentators have incorrectly attributed saying that all 50 states will be collecting sales tax. That is not accurate. Um, and, it, you know, because uh, Alaska, Delaware. Oregon, Montana, and of course, my, my home geographic area of New Hampshire, neither, none of those states uh, have a state sales tax. Uh, So, so they will not be uh, collecting, uh, you know, from, from Amazon. So if you live in those states. You don't have to worry about it. What the price you see for Amazon is the price you get, uh, which isn't that isn't that nice. It's a funny thing, too. You know, in fact, sometimes, you know, when the lovely and hyper intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy and I are traveling, you know, around New England or within, uh, you know, New Hampshire itself. Um, we often like, you know, there's like these, you know, stops where, I mean, New Hampshire, look, I'm I'm not saying it's some kind of paradise or anything as as far as, uh, you know, regulations and legal matters go, because they have this weird thing where they control the sale of all liquor. It, it's, it's, it's very odd. Um, and they have stores kind of set up on the major highways, you know, where, where you can, you know, go in or they are like, they turn them into not just liquor stores, but really entire rest stops. Um, and you know so sometimes we stop at these rest stops because it's on a major highway from, you know, where we're going and they'll have like big screens up. And the funny thing is, this is so ironic, is that New Hampshire on these screens, you know, on these TV screens are on these flat screens are advertising for themselves. And they're talking about how great it is that they don't have all these taxes. And I just I I always like chuckle when I see it, because it's like, wait a minute, states bragging that they don't have taxes like you know, usually a state brags at the wonderful taxes that it has and what it's doing for people and everything. So I, you know, I, I always get a little a little kick out of that. And now, really, like if I was if I was the New Hampshire government and I never fucking will be because I'm a goddamn anarchist, um, I would put up there no Amazon sales tax. <laughs> I'd add it right onto those screens in a heartbeat. So anyway, uh, <laughs> just. Yeah, just just a, an, an interesting thing, but yeah. So suddenly, you know, oh shit, these things aren't just costing me nine ninety nine anymore. Well, there's a reason, and I think that goes true for the the digital content as well. I think that works like if you're buying Kindle books or music or whatever you happen to be doing, you know, whatever digital content uh, you're you're getting on there, it's a, it's the same situation. So another reason to move to New Hampshire, if you like, you, you know, you can hang out with the loving, hyper intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy and I, and not pay uh, you know Amazon sales tax. Hey. <laughs> That's a trifecta if I've ever heard one. Well, okay, we're busy people. We can't always be hanging out, (laughs) but we might be around. You never know. So, all right, uh, let's move on to some other news. In fact, you know, we're talking about Samsung quite a bit. Why don't we break into what the uh, the number one guy in the smartphone world uh, is up to? And that being Apple. Uh, They did a very, very quiet this past week, a really quiet launch of some new products or maybe even little relaunches. Um, here and there that I, I think are kind of interesting because it makes you wonder what's going to be coming up in spring or I mean not in spring. this this would be the spring release that they usually do. you know, some springs they release a new iPad or new MacBooks or something like this. Um, you know usually there's some kind of sometimes it's a big event, sometimes it isn't. Uh, lately it seems that the fall event, whatever they end up naming it, they change the name of it all the time and it's usually in October or something uh, or maybe even early September. Uh, You know, this it's going to be the 10th anniversary this year, 2017, for the, uh, you know, for for the iPhone. So I'm not surprised that they released kind of just an iterative little mid-year update, uh, you know, this spring since there's probably going to be a massively different device and people have had all kinds of wild theories that it's going to be a completely transparent, like, you know, see-through phone. Uh, people, I mean, just wild notions people have had about the new iPhone because this is the 10th anniversary. So it should be something groundbreaking, right? Uh, well, I mean, I don't know, you know, as far as that goes, I don't watch the, the, the Apple world that hard. Um, I respect, I, and I mean this, I respect a lot of what Apple does. Um, and, well, I'll talk about the products that they released here because all they did is they came out uh, effectively with, um, uh, like a red version. Like what, what do they call that? The, the code, not code red. That's a Mountain Dew <laughs> product red. That's what it is. Uh, so product red, which is a fundraiser. And they've been doing this since the days of the early iPods where they would release a red iPod that you could only get online. And it's, you know, it's for a fundraiser for fighting HIV and AIDS and Sub Saharan Africa and all that. Uh, you know, that's, that's nothing new, which, I thought they were doing it before 2006, but I know some of the metrics said that they've done like 130 million just from selling, you know, red Apple devices, uh, you know, since 2006 uh, for this fundraiser, which, hey, whatever. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so we've, we there's a, you know, there's a new uh, red aluminum, you know, iPhone 7 and iPhone 7 Plus. Uh, they got rid of the iPad mini 2 and there is yeah there's now there's a new ipad which is like a low-cost ipad which they put an a9 chip in which isn't like necessarily the latest but close um and they still have the Mini Four. The iPad Mini Four is still available, but they released the 128 gig model of that. That points to the 128 gig model. in My opinion points to what I've been saying for years: is that eventually the iPad is supposed to replace uh, the the Mac line itself. Um, you know, that's that's really where that's uh you know that's going. But the you know they got rid of the iPad Air too, and so now it's just this 9.7 inch iPad, and it's a it's kind of a lower cost one, uh, where it's running 329 for starters. And I think really that's that's to compete with Chromebooks because they're scared to death of of Chromebooks taking over education when they thought a few years ago the iPod or or the iPad was supposed to do that. And and it's just not, so not, not a shock there uh, that that necessarily um, happened. So, but you know, the real, the the interesting quote unquote winner here, winner product, in my opinion, as in if I saw a product from their little quiet release the other day, which one would I be jumping on? Uh, The one I would jump on is actually probably my favorite device that, that Apple makes right now, which is uh, the iPhone SE. Um, And of course it's kind of a budget, um, Uh, I mean, it's considered a budget phone because what it only runs like three ninety nine or something. Uh, But now it has has a 16 gig, 64 gig, 32 gig and 128 gig model. So you got a lot of different options of which one to buy. Um, I mean, let's be clear here, you know. I mean, Vault 7, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, Apple came out smelling pretty good out of that whole situation, whatever the reality is around that situation. Uh, and Apple comes out looking pretty good in a lot of different security situations. Um, And so, you know, having an iPhone, look, I get it. You know, and I, I understand, like Matthew Green talks about the iPhone's the most secure device on the planet. You know, I mean, you, and he's a definitely a trusted name in my book. Uh, lots of people are, are on board with this. And so, yeah, the iPhone SE to get a nice little bump. I mean, I, I, I think that's all right. I think that's the best device Apple's selling right now. Uh, so it was nice to see that get a refresh. Interesting that it wasn't an iPhone SE 2. And the iPhone SE is still the latest, you know, uh, uh, iPhone. That still has a headphone jack. So keep that in mind too. (laughs) It's been a while since I've been able to talk hardware on this show, but uh, you know, I just, I thought it brought up some, some interesting things, but yeah, this quiet release of hardware, I think is really just like, okay, here's a refresh to make our, our spreadsheets look good. Okay. To make our balance sheets look good, because this is the, the general path we work on, but we don't want anything too drastic because come, you know, come fall. We're gonna we're gonna level people with this 10th anniversary product shit. So that's what's going on. So I mean, unless you want the iPhone SE, the rest of the stuff, oh holy shit, I would wait. I would not be I would not be buying this <laughs> unless you really needed a phone. Even then I I would I would hold out. Um so anyway, that's it with all the Apple stuff. Um I was gonna get into the iPhone ransom series, but I think we're already running uh kind of long. Uh this was in, an interesting little story. Um, that Uber, which boy, talk about a company. With a shit ton of problems. <laughs> but uh, they are now halting uh, self driving car tests in Arizona, which they also halted them in Pittsburgh re- uh, recently. And which I think those are the only two places that they're running them. Now, what they have are these generally, they're like Volvo SUVs, okay, which that's understand the reason Uber's using Volvo SUVs is because Volvo has a decades long reputation of being the safest cars in the world. So I think you kind of set a certain uh, level of class and a certain level of comfort that people expect when they see kind of a Volvo or, you know, when they think Volvo and all that. So they think safety like that, that's just, that's branding that Volvo has earned. I mean, rightfully earned actually, you know, it's not like it was just marketing. Like they really deserve that title, even though others have, you know, maybe technically taken it like Saab or someone else has taken it, taken the reins here and there still Volvo. When you think that you think safety, um, so it's not really clear what happened because the reason that they canceled uh, the the self driving car tests in Arizona was because uh, one of their Volvo SUVs got into uh, got in an accident. Now, according to the reports, no one knows if it was actually uh, the Volvo's fault. You know whose fault was it? They're, they're, that that hasn't come out yet. Um, the claim right now though is that the other car is at fault for not yielding for the Uber. Uh, but I guess where things aren't clear is that was a human driving it or was it the Uber self, you know, was it the automated pilot, uh, you know, uh, controlling everything, but this is about the worst thing that could possibly, you know, happen to Uber right now, because right. I mean, you already have, um, you know, the, the multitude of scandals, uh, you know, and, and workplace sexism being talked about and everything, uh, you know, that, that CEO, what is, what's his name? Uh, Travis Kalanick that like is not responding to, and then there's years of problems like with God mode and other things. And look, don't talk to me about gray ball. I know about gray ball. Okay. Great. Other companies can do that. You don't need to praise Uber for pulling shit like that. Uh, but w- whatever. Anyway, this company is in such trouble. Now I'll tell you, like, I'm surprised that this sort of thing doesn't happen more, meaning Like, you know, if I were a, uh, you know, (laughs) if I had a greased and uh, greased mustache and I was twirling it, okay, (laughs) you know what I mean? If I was some kind of villain, you know, and I was running some, you know, like if I was running, I don't know, a competitor of some kind to Uber, be it in the self-driving space or you name it. Like, I would probably be paying people to ram into these cars and, you know, just create terrible PR. You know, like I like really I, I would do that. And then, you know, wait four years for things to settle a bit. And then I'd release my product, you know, three or four years or something like this. Uh, and and but because then when, you know, Uber comes out with something, you as the company can keep saying, well, at least we're not going to be those Uber guys. You know, I talk about this a lot that, that a lot of time, ta- you know, corporate espionage and the, you know, the, these corporate, this corporate warfare uh goes on so often and you never know about it. I'm not saying I have evidence that that this was cor- uh you know a byproduct of corporate uh uh you know espionage or uh you know industrial espionage whatever or industrial warfare. But uh, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we found out later <laughs> that that you know who knows and, and and please I'm just speculating that tesla did who uh, anyway so yeah i mean i'm just i'm shocked that this hasn't hasn't happened more often uh or even with google stuff i mean you you really you you would think that it would so anyway why don't we get into uh our main story this week because like i said there's a lot of details we kind of got to break into and, and then really there's there's a whole hell of a lot to talk about uh you know as as far as it goes so all right this actually was sent to me by request um which I used to have a segment called uh, uh, Tech Roulette, where I would take the stories that get sent into me and use them. Sometimes I still do that. Uh, Maybe I'll bring that segment back because we have episode 225 coming up where we got to shake it up all over again. Woo! Um, But this was actually sent to me by uh, Daryl Perry, uh, of course, of FPP FPP News, uh, which is uh, an enjoyable. Well, I mean. Peace, love, liberty radio. He does. He does a ton. FPP.cc. If you want to check out his website anyway, (laughs) a good guy. Uh, So this is uh, uh, from Gizmodo, one of our favorite websites. And yeah, Gizmodo, we call it Gizmodo here. Supreme Court printer cartridge case could be the Citizens United of Products. And uh, I'll read here. And this is just from this week. It's an obscure case that hasn't received a ton of attention. As it has made its way to the Supreme Court, but the final verdict could set off a cascade of consequences in the world of consumer products. Now, stallion breaking in. I don't generally like to talk about something until like really a case is closed. But every once in a while, like if it's the Microsoft case, the Apple case, you know, if it's big enough, you know, I'm willing to cover it before we actually get like an answer. Or like last week, we talked a bit about Alexa, uh, you know, in that in the Arkansas case. Um but anyway, let's read on. I think this is important enough to, you know, to, to regardless of what the decision ends up, you know, becoming uh, whew, you know, there's a lot of ways this could go. This week, oral arguments were heard in the case of Impression Products, Inc., versus lexmark international inc and according to the well-regarded scotus blog it seems that the justices are having a tough time figuring out how to view this difficult legal tangle themselves at its most basic the the case is a dispute over lexmark's patent uh, rights regarding refile or refilling printer cartridges impression products is a small business with about 25 employees Right on, the Stallion telling you that's the perfect size—a twenty-person little company. T- I mean, th- those are those are the kind of companies that can change the world, which maybe they're about to. <laughs> it specializes, reading on, in buying used printer cartridges and remanufacturing them. In 2012, Lexmark decided to add uh, impression to an already existing lawsuit against other remanufacturers while the other defendants, uh, defendants eventually settled uh, impression has stuck it out. And the case has made it to the highest court in the land. You can read the full technical details of the case here, but the simple version goes like this. Since the nineties, Lexmark has used what's called a shrink wrap. Actually, you know, before I read that, that, that part, that uh, paragraph, I want to, I want to cover this about like, wait a minute. Why is impression doing this? Okay. Now, we may get into quotes as to what, you know, like the CEO of Impression and whatever is saying. But this is this is another great argument for the beauty of having a very small business and having like that 20 person team. Is that really like let's understand, you know, you're taking on Lexmark, definitely a giant, you know, I mean, granted, you know, the printing business isn't exactly in its glory days right now, but still a giant in the tech world in, in many ways. I mean, it's not a Google or a Microsoft, but you get my point. So Impressions taking them on and they're sticking to it. Now, what happens a lot of times and what may have happened with other companies in this case that Lexmark has been running for quite a few years now is that often it's a much larger company that they're dealing with. Maybe it's a, a, you know, a printer remanufacturing business that has, I don't know, you know, 20, 30 stores or something like that. And, you know, you're talking about hiring people in the thousands instead of, you know, the tens instead of, you know, just 25. So what often happens is in these court cases, and I've seen them personally, what often happens in them, or I've read reviews of them personally, I should say, is that you know the the CEO of the company will and you know, along with whatever passes off as a board for the company, will kind of you know, they'll they'll crack to the pressure because they're, you know, they have a bunch of jobs that they have to worry about. Now, ironically, those jobs could get lost anyway, just because you know, the remanufacturing, uh, business, you know, goes out of business. Right. But usually what will happen is, is that they're scared that they could bet the company on taking on a bigger company like Lexmark, which probably has ancient and great lawyers. And they will, you know, they're, they're concerned that everybody will just lose everything and they'll have to pay out a ton of costs, you know, in court of some kind, uh, you know, for, for quote unquote, messing with Lexmark, even though I see, I think the patent systems a joke, uh, intellectual properties, a joke folks, And so, you know, but when you have a smaller company, you can kind of like, like you don't have so many lives at risk, shall we say. So, and you can, you can really get close with your team and you can say, look, it's going to be us. It's 25 against the world. You know, we're going to take on Lexmark and you you can really rally them up and, 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 you know, and you can afford maybe even out of your own pocket, say as a CEO, you know, you, you can afford or as a GM or something to, you know, make sure if, if things go sour your employees or your previous employees, if your business gets shut down by Lexmark or by, you know, by the government, um, that, that they can be, they'll be okay. And like they can find other places and maybe you can give them a little bit of a nest or something. Okay. This is the beauty of having a small company to where you can take greater leaps and risks much like Impression is. I think Impression's a fucking hero for, you know, not not that I care for politics or legal mumbo-jumbo and all this stuff, okay, but I get it. I understand what's going on here. And and like I said, I think they're heroic for taking on Lexmark over this. So, all right, let's read a little bit more about the case. You can read the full technical details of the case here, but there's a link in the show notes, by the way, for episode 219. Uh, just go to SovereignTech.com to find those. Uh, but the simple version goes like this. Since the 90s, Lexmark has used what's called a shrink wrap license with its cartridges. It offers a pre- Prebate to consumers by knocking off 20 20 percent of the price in exchange for their agreement to never resell or reuse the cartridge. The consumer agrees to this the second they open the package. Essentially, Lexmark believes that those cartridges belong to them, not the consumer reselling them because the consumer didn't have the right to sell them in the first place. Woo. Contracts. This is the most ridiculous of contracts. This is where companies will take things when you give them enough steam, when you put enough steam in their stride, okay, is that they'll say, well, no, look, when I, when I have a little sticker, okay, or this little bag around my product, and if I say in those words, hey, Jack. If you open this, you can't resell it. And and forget about the 20% off. That's horseshit. Okay. Uh, You know, that you're not going to resell or refill this sort of thing. I mean, they think that that should be legally binding. Literally, they think a Mylar bag is a legal contract. Are you fucking insane? This is what Lexmark thinks. Wow. Reading on with the story. Where this is getting legally tricky for impression is around the nuke unclear idea of patent uh, exhaustion. And then uh, so, yeah, this is the idea that a manufacturer gives up the right to yeah patent exhaustion. This is the idea that a manufacturer gives up the right to control what happens to a product after it has been sold. Forbes breaks down the precedents that have been set in these cases. 25 years ago, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit, which hears patent cases, carved an exception out of the patent exhaustion principle, allowing patentees to set post-sale restrictions so long as these are otherwise legal and, quote-unquote, clearly communicated. In a separate case, the Federal Circuit concluded that when a, a patented item is sold abroad, the patentees' U.S. rights are not exhausted at all. The Federal Circuit upheld both of these precedents when it ruled against impression products earlier this year. The Supreme Court has never ruled on either of them many manufacturing and technology companies have backed impression in this case here's how the retailer costco defined what's at stake uh, in a briefing filed with the court so this is costco this is one of the major companies okay that is, you know, they're like, whoa, 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 this is this is crazy. And they're backing impression, which also obviously gives impression, you, you know, a lot of confidence when you have a company the size of Costco, uh, you know, and some and with the reputation of Costco, which is generally a good one, uh, you know, behind you. So let's read from from Costco here, quote, goods of all kinds, computers, smartphones, automobiles, even medicines, incorporate innumerable components made throughout the world. Each product developer and manufacturer would be required to trace to uh, trace the origin to or trace to origin the patent rights of every single component it purchases if it turns out that any individual component was first sold abroad or even domestically but subject to a condition on a on future reuse or resale like the lex like the you know everything that's in that little bag that shrink wrap uh, uh, settlement right the manufacturer would then be required to negotiate an appropriate licensing agreement So, end quote, Uh, without much case case law to look to, the SCOTUS justices are, you know, in a tough spot in which they have to make a decision that sets a major precedent. Um, I mean, basically what Costco is saying is that, look, okay, if if you're going to let this go to where, you know, this the shrink wrap, uh, uh, you know, contract uh, effectively or, you know, the shrink wrap license, uh, you know, goes through then. I mean, Costco, what Costco knows Okay. I mean, they're right. This is ridiculous. You know, like, okay, how far does this go? Does it go? Because Lexmark doesn't like produce every little thing. Like what components are we going to have to watch out for with this? What components fall under a shrink ramp license? You know, on, uh, just with like, I don't know if you buy a bicycle or something like, how, you know, do, do the handlebars fall under the shrink wrap license, but the general body doesn't like, how does, how, do, you know, how does all that work really? What Costco is worried about is that they're going to have to deal with the legal costs. If, you know, if there's like returns, or if someone gets, you know, ends up doing something, uh, uh, you know that that Lexmark doesn't like, because then Lexmark is going to, you know, at the end of the day, is going to have to trace it back through Costco. Then Costco has to do some paperwork to find, okay, who did we sell it? I mean, like, it's madness. Exactly. You know how how this would all have to be tracked? I mean, it's one thing for Amazon to figure out how to collect sales tax in some states and not others, right? Really, they just have to treat everything like a separate country, which it should be anyway, but. <laughs> But but this is a whole other level because Costco's right, which things aren't, you know, sh- wh- which things fall under the shrink wrap license and which parts do not. It's impossible to tell. And yet, I mean, the, the you know, the rigmarole you'd have to go to to find like the, the origin of all these different products to hold up, you know, where this law would go. Uh, boy, anyway, we're going to we're going to part two some of this into hack where we're going to talk about John Deere and Ukrainian firmware. So, you know, be, be, be ready for that. If we don't get to a complete answer here, cause we've got a lot more to cover on this. So honor, I want to read on, um, in the same way, that Citizens United opened the floodgates for money in American politics, leaving it forever changed. This case could lead major manufacturers to tra- to tack on all sorts of aftermarket restrictions on their products. It would make the quote unquote right to repair debate seem minuscule in comparison. We're going to talk about the right to repair debate in the next segment. Um, and it would have a huge effect on innovation and competition as Randy Stutz uh, associate associate general counsel, of the American uh, Antitrust to put it in brief supporting impression in quote free and clear secondary markets Used products can compete with new products to drive prices down and offer more choice it's good for consumers it's good for competition end quote damn right it is (laughs) in fact really the only way in my opinion because apparently there are people who are now you know people of a shall we say a more freed market mindset are thinking that um, monopolies can be a thing well look the only way monopolies can ever happen is if you lock down like Lex Lexmark is trying to do is if you lock down secondary used retail markets, not even retail, just secondary used markets. And you tell me what exactly is free market about that. There's nothing free market about that. A monopoly by its very design has to be anti free market. And it's very clearly seen in this you know, in this case right here. So, I mean, and Understand, like, this debate's going on in, in every almost every market category. You know, this is what's going on with the MPAA or an RIA. Uh, You know, when you buy a CD, well, can you rip it and then give that to somebody? Do you really have total control of yours, of the CD that you buy and, and all this? I mean, this is, this is a huge deal. Um, observers, reading out a bit, observers of SCOTUS arguments can often get a read on how the justices are reacting to each side, but they were reportedly perplexed by this case. An exasperated Anthony Kennedy asked, quote, why hasn't this been codified? Uh, You know, too busy or what? the failure to codify mean we should be somewhat cautious in extending or interpreting it? End quote. Uh, and there, there's there's a bunch more, you know, in this, too. Um, and there's not going to be there, there will be no updates to this case until June. But right now, the Supreme Court, you know, they're, they're yeah, I don't know what's going on with the Supreme Court. You know, they they seem flabbergasted by all this. Maybe what's happening. And of course, what we hope is happening is that they're realizing that the path, the patent system in itself is bullshit, and it does more harm than it does good, which is absolutely true. It's a funny thing. Uh, I haven't talked about this in a long time on Sovereign Tech, okay? But the patent system, which so many, so many people think, oh, man, but if we don't have intellectual property, if we don't have a patent system, you know, then, then you know, people are just going to copy everything we do, um, and, and, you know, and, and then we're not going to make any money, and there's not going to be any incentive. You know, if you don't have a controlling patent, you're not going to have any incentive to actually innovate uh, and and do anything else. Well, the funny thing is, is that historically, even in the U.S., there are plenty of cases where there seem to be more important incentives, perhaps, you know, than than just necessarily innovation or whatever else, because there have been times where patent laws have been dropped, where the entire patent system was dropped. World War One. It was dropped because. You know, what was happening was is the Wright brothers were pretty much, you know, they were owning ass on all the airplanes in, you know, in the U.S. And so, oh, you need airplanes, uh, you know, to go fight your war. Well, pay up, Jack. It's your laws. You made them. Don't blame me. I'm just charging you the fair price according to, you know, U.S. economic law, baby. So what does the U.S. government do? They say, oh, no, actually. Yeah, we're going to end all patent law right now. And we're going to we're we're going to, you know, back back engine you know, uh, reverse engineer uh, your airplanes and we're going to we'll just fucking make our own. So screw you. Or, you know, we can pay you just we're not going to pay, you know, any kind of patent prices, uh, you know, for you to build it. Right, brothers. um And so, I mean, this is this is the point is that. <laughs> Like patent law really is something that has been seen multiple times, you know, that like, wow, it doesn't stifle innovation. It actually stifles access to innovation. And if not everybody and and, you know, if, if innovation can't go abroad, then what the fuck's the point to it? What's the point to innovation if only, you know, 10 people can use it? In the broader sense, I'm not saying that that like I also want like there to be an opposite law that says you must share all innovations with all the world or something like that. There doesn't need to be a law. That's the point. And you can say, well, there was wartime. Eh. Sorry, if you're uh, hopping on a plane right now, you have everything to thank for the fact that for a little while, the U.S. patent law system was effectively shut down. If you are flying, if you and if you like flying a lot, well, you know, be glad there weren't there wasn't a patent system at the time, because that's how all of this ended up becoming free. Because then a bunch of other companies, you know, outcropped out of that. And those other companies, you know, even when they re-inst- reinstituted patent law in the U.S., uh, those other companies, you know, th- well, they already had their designs and everything. And they continued, you know, with business as usual and competition went on as usual and everybody won because of competition. Right. Don't you enjoy how quickly you get to other parts of the world now? Yeah, the patent system's a joke. And I mean, the, the other part of this that that blows my mind and maybe they are out there and I'm just they're not it's not being reported on and, and we're not hearing about it. Where are the environmentalists? You know, maybe the hardcore environmentalists would be saying, you know, well, we shouldn't be using paper anyway. Well, that's a whole other you know kind of BS argument. I mean, I'm all about, you know having a largely paperless world uh but you know like the arguments that that somehow paper and electronic yeah, yeah i mean it, once you get into the realm of batteries paper you know looks like an environmentalist dream compared to batteries so you know let's let's not go there but where are the environmentalists saying i mean chip you know like well like, the, all these printer cartridges are just getting trashed when they really could just get refilled You know, I would have if I was the head of some eco group, like I'd be, you know, rallying behind impression. I I, so many companies should be behind this. I'm glad some of the you know, some of the larger, more reputable companies, not not that I think, in, you know, in a perfect world, there'd be large companies. But, you know, I'm glad that they're there recognizing that. Wait a minute. If this goes through, we're all fucked because we're going to have to hire entire divisions of people. We're going to have to create meaningless, ridiculous Pointless middleman jobs just to handle the paperwork because Lexmark is crying over the fact, you know, that that people are refilling their cartridges. And again, you know, I said this earlier, but I, I really want to drive this point home. OK. It, you know, there's a lot of nuance when you talk about contracts and all this. OK, but let, let's you know, let's break this right down to the bare bones. You are, because of, you know, a shrink-wrapped, I mean, usually I think that's what these things come in. They come in a little Mylar bag or something. Because you tear a Mylar bag, you, and if you do something that you took out of that Mylar bag that the Mylar bag said you weren't supposed to do, you get the full force of the U.S. government. You get the monopoly of force. You get violence potentially threatened against you because of a Mylar fucking bag because of words on a piece of paper, man, if, if we're to the point, this is the, this is the thing. Okay. This is the thing I, I'm really trying hard not to like, you know, not, not to, not to rip on, on certain types of anarchism and maybe libertarians so much anymore, but really when we get to the point that, that we, 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 uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for that we edify, not, not edify, but that we glorify that we deify. Yeah. Deify is a good word for this, that we deify just a few words or we, de, you know, on a, maybe a little sticker that's closing up a Mylar bag or something, or a few words that are on a box or that are on a piece of paper. Okay, to where you say, well, it does. Oh, well, I gave them a deal. I gave them twenty percent off. They didn't do what my piece of paper said. So lock them up. Get the guns after them. Like this is this is ridiculous. You know, this this is the logical conclusion of what happens when we deify, you know, even the concept of private law, when we when we, we when we deify the concept of, well, we'll sign a contract. And if you have it in writing, then you have legal recourse. Baby, Lexmark has no legal recourse, but I know they've got it in writing. But goddammit, it. You know, never let the, raw, the law get in the way of you doing the right thing. Right. Isn't that what Thomas Jefferson said? The right thing to do is to refill that cartridge. The right thing to do is for you to hack fucking everything from your printer printer cartridges to your body okay and, and and just let it rip that's how you innovate and big business is just standing in the way with government just you know with i don't, I don't know what the fuck these supreme court justices are doing they're just I don't know. It's a, well i mean it's a mylar bag i mean we got to respect that I mean what's going on or maybe it's just, again, they're realizing, holy shit, like the precedent we're going to be setting over this is just so outrageous. I mean, fortunately, you know, a lot of sectors of Silicon Valley, of the tech world, are finally saying, look, we really got to do something about the patent system. It's holding up everything. And they have all the proof in the world. They can show you the case-by-case basis where it is holding up innovation. It's not protecting innovation. It's not incentivizing innovation. It's doing the exact fucking opposite because software is eating the world now, folks, and it's even eating Lexmark. And that's really what's going on here is they're scared to death that they're going to lose even more profits because God damn it, nobody's ever going to buy another printer cartridge for them. That is not for you to go after the consumer. That is a business problem. Lexmark for you to solve your goddamn self. Don't put your problems, okay, on, on the consumer. That's nonsense. That is bad business. That's disgusting. Toss your Lexmark printers right out the door. Gorgeous. Do we have a Lexmark printer? No. What What, what is it? No. No. What, what it's an kind of, Epson. Oh, it's an Epson. Okay, fine. They're eco-friendly. There you go. <laughs> it's an Epson. All right, good. Because I was about to open up the window. <laughs> oh, man. This just, this, this drives me nuts when I, when I see this stuff, I mean, even if I were a person that believed in the political process, I'd, I'd instantly know like that, that this is just nonsense. And, and I would, I would totally be like, yeah, just dump, dump the patent system you know, people will have to figure out better ways of just keeping their secrets. That that's all there really is, uh, you know, to it. And, uh, but no, you know, and then as an anarchist, well, it's very clear. IP requires you to hold back entire markets as in secondary and used markets. Uh, and it requires a surveillance state. It requires a literal police state to enforce that copyright, because that's how Lexmark is, you know, doing is, is enforcing this. That's true for intellectual property across the board from pictures of you to a movie, to a, to music, to a book, to whatever. The only way you can have copyright law that actually means anything is if you have a perfect police state monitoring everything at all times. Maybe later in this episode, we'll talk about how that, how that kind of police state could even come into existence, even though it's on a pretty good fucking step to it. We'll be right back with more sovereign tech. Hey baby, you know, I got to tell you, if you want something, that you can hold in your hand you have control over it's not going to blow up on you lexmark's not going to come after you for it well yeah they're not going to come after you for it get your hands on precious metals gold silver platinum palladium all the good stuff go to roberts and roberts brokerage okay gold.zog.ninja is the website that you can go to that'll get you your hookup and you can buy it with serious money like bitcoin Woo. Oh, man. How about all those printing companies? They got to be hating Bitcoin right now. <laughs> because <laughs> Paperless money, unless you wanted to be on a paper wallet or something. But Roberts and Roberts Brokerage, they love Bitcoin. I mean, they love it. You their Bitcoin preferred all the way. And just one of the best businesses in the world today. You're going to get incredible customer service. They'll even buy gold and silver and all that, fr- you know, from you if you want. Uh, so you can do that too, but you want to go there You can go to gold.zog.ninja, or you can go to rrbi.co. Either way, let them know the Golden Stallion sent you, uh, you know, when you go there, they're going to know who you're talking about. Believe me, they check out this show and I cannot thank them enough for being such a long time supporter uh, of Sovereign Tech and the unique message uh, that, that, that gets out there. This is what you want to do. You want to diversify your wealth, diversify your holdings. You think Bitcoin's doing great right now? Great. Diversify it a bit. Grab some gold and silver. Go to gold.zog.ninja and deal with Roberts and Roberts Brokerage, and we thank them again. So let's get back woo, to some Sovereign Tech, baby. Here we go. Let's take Red Wolf over there into that chasm, Dr. Goldblossom.
0: By what looks like a giant door?
1: Yeah, right over there. does look like an entrance of some kind. Just be gentle with the lady.
0: Don't worry. I've got this agent, Sovereign. I've built Red Wolf, after all.
1: If I was worried, I wouldn't even have you fly, Red Wolf, Doctor. In fact, you're the only person I trust besides me to fly.
0: What are we doing flying around Antarctica anyways? It's freezing! Don't worry, Valeria. I'll keep you warm. But really, Brian... Isn't it a bit extreme to be looking for a new base of operations in the South Pole? Considering our present political climate,
1: Stephanie, I don't think there's such a thing as too extreme. And this is about more than just finding a new base. This is about finding new technologies, uncharted history, scientific advancements that we can only... But it's
0: freezing, Agent Sovereign.
1: Pixel, what's the temperature outside?
0: Negative Celsius. Pixel? Where are you? I didn't know you came along. I'm in Red Bull's computer. There wasn't enough room for all of us, and I only need a physical body when it's... necessary. Yay, Pixel is here! We're approaching that giant door. It's definitely made of an alloy of some kind. Uh, why is there a giant metal door in the middle of Antarctica? You'll see. Pixel, can you get that door open? Anything you wish, Agent Sovereign. Door opening... Good work, Pixel. A quick hack solves everything.
1: It is time for HackSec, where we talk issues of hacking and security. And, you know, this is one of those stories. Now, I've actually covered this a bit previous, uh, uh, briefly, in Sovereign Tech's history. But this is one of those things where when I think of hacking, I generally don't think of hacking a John Deere tractor. But... That is the wave of the future for very good reasons. So I'm going to go ahead and and this is from a motherboard from Vice. uh, And it's from March 21st, 12,017 HE. So just in this past week uh, or, you know, in the past few days there, let's see (laughs) why American farmers are hacking their tractors with Ukrainian firmware, a dive into the thriving black market of John Deere tractor hacking. Now I'll tell you the golden stallion, Nothing excites me more than no, not John Deere, black markets. Woo! I am absolutely, I proudly call myself a black marketeer. I think black markets are a beautiful, wonderful thing because, really, all black markets are are markets without government regulation. What the hell's wrong with that? In fact, it's a great damn thing. And and in fact, if we had that, we wouldn't have the problem we were talking about all last segment with fucking Lexmark, and who knows what the hell else. Hell, Samsung wouldn't even be a company because, well, anyway. <laughs> For a lot of reasons, because there'd be a lot more competition uh, that could do the job a lot better. So anyway, uh, let's um, let's let's read the story here to avoid the draconian locks that John Deere puts on the tractors uh, they buy. Farmers throughout America's heartland have started hacking their equipment with firmware that's cracked in Eastern Europe and traded on invite only paid online forums. Ooh, I mean, this is happening. Understand this. Okay, I mean, I'll give you a little bit of breakdown, or a little bit of background on this. But what's happening here is that you've got some, you know, (laughs) you've got some farmers, all right, in the middle of the U.S., or hell, maybe upstate New York, who knows, that's all farmland anyway. You know, and, you know, they're out there doing their thing. Woo, I've been looking for freedom, right? You know, working on the farm, got some muscle in the arm, a little David Hasselhoff there. Love that song. Okay, they're out there, and now they are doing, I mean, (laughs) like, Like, they're kind of going to their own little Silk Road, you know, to to fucking, to hack their their tractors so that they can just use their tractors. Because, and this is the parts that we talked about in the past on Sovereign Tech, okay, is that John Deere is saying, and and other companies are doing this too, car companies are doing it, saying that, look, you cannot, you, you are not allowed to mess with the software in the computers of these tractors. Oh, no, I understand You know, this, the company's saying this, I understand that you bought that tractor that you paid tens of thousands, you know, thousands of dollars or tens of thousands of dollars for that. I understand that it's your life's blood and, you know, that you already paid out well, you know, what is, uh, you know, what is owed uh, or, you know, or what it costs and and more uh, for labor and everything. But look. You are in our clutches, baby. You don't get to just do whatever you want to. I mean, I don't know what you're thinking, Mr. Farmer. Maybe you're still back in the old days. Back when you bought something, you got to do whatever the fuck you wanted with it. I I mean, but look, that's an antiquated way of thinking. That's not how the U.S. of A. works in 2017, baby. Woo! Right? Well, that's what they're saying. Let's read on a little bit. Tractor hacking is growing increasingly popular because John Deere and other manufacturers have made it impossible to perform, quote unquote, unauthorized because, again, you know, just because you bought the thing doesn't mean you're authorized to, you know, to do something with it. Uh, unauthorized repair on farm equipment, which farmers see as an attack on their sovereignty and quite possibly an existential threat to their livelihood. If their tractor breaks at an inopportune time, quote, when crunch time comes and we break down, chances are we don't have time to wait for a dealership employee to show up and fix it. End quote. Uh, Danny Cluth, a hog farmer in Nebraska uh, told his state legislature uh, earlier this month, quote, most of most all the new equipment requires a download to fix end quote the nightmare scenario and a fear i heard expressed over and over again in talking with farmers is that john deere could remotely shut down a tractor and there wouldn't be anything a farmer could do about it and wow yeah now i'm gonna play a little bit of devil's advocate here OK, because let's be clear, John Deere is not the only one doing this. Chrysler does this like a whole bunch of different car companies uh, are doing this. Now, for some of them, particularly the car companies, they don't want people messing with the firmware, perhaps because they know that coming in the next few years, their plan. And we talked about this. I think it was on a Patreon, on a Sovereign Tech Patreon Q&A episode. Um, Which was another story, I think, from Daryl Perry that got sent to me (laughs) Uh, talking about how the, you know, the National Transit Authority is, you know, working on uh, algorithms and a technology that allows all cars to really communicate with each other. And it creates a, a national system, a warning system. That will tell when a car is like pulled over, when a car is broken down off the side of the road and whatever. And so if somebody, you know, put custom firmware into a car and you were relying on this, uh, you know, on this, this, this communication system or this communication software, say from the national you know, transit authority or whatever, um, you would end up like, like potentially you, your car might not know that another car is pulled over. And if it's on some degree of automation, um, you know, it, it, it might run into the other car and cause an accident or it would be a safety concern is the bottom line. All right. Um, now for John Deere, what may be happening is, is that, yeah, these tractors cost a shit ton of money and a lot of times farmers will get these things on loan or, you know, on a, on a loan, I should say like, you know, they'll get it with a a degree of credit or whatever. And farmers perhaps, and I'm not saying this for all, for all, I think there's kind of this unfair Maybe it's not so unfair. I don't know. Okay. I'm not a farmer, but I know there, there's sort of this, uh, 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 stereotype out there, you know, that farmers are are running on hard times and you know, they're, they're on lean margins and everything, and they can barely pay stuff. And often they're relying on kind of the good graces of businesses that they work with on when, you know, when they'll be able to pay up or something. So maybe what, you know, what John Deere wants to do is, is that, well, if you're not, you know, we'll give this to you on credit of some kind, but if you're not going to, uh, you know, if you don't pay your, your monthly lease or not lease, but, y- you know, if you don't pay your monthly payment for this John Deere tractor, we're going to remotely shut it off. And I can imagine the farmers are probably concerned about that and everything. And, you know, this is, this is, this speaks to an issue uh, that I have where you really lose the human element, because if you just automated that process to where, oh, no, the farmer didn't pay the monthly payment, fuck, boop. You know, and and it, and it just automatically shuts down by you know having it connected. I don't know to to Ethereum or something. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm reaching as far as going for Ethereum there, but you know, I'm merely referencing smart contracts. Okay. Uh, then you know maybe the guy could pay it the next day, and he just needs a little bit of extra time. But you've automated everything, and you've gotten rid of so many of the other little middleman jobs because they're too busy trying to handle uh you, you know the the patents uh you know the the patent requests from Lexmark. So you had to put the humans over there, um uh, you know that he can't get in touch with anybody, and you know he might literally within 24 hours he could lose a, a you know a fall crop of some kind, right? Again, I'm not a farmer, so I'm I'm being kind of Being kind of uh, generalizing in in what I'm saying. But that's that's a real threat with a lot of this stuff is that really like you lose the human touch, you lose the human, uh, you know, understanding and empathy saying, "Okay, look, I understand what you're going through. I'll give you a little more time. They could say maybe there'll be a customer service line. But look, if this is something that is commonplace with, uh, you know, with farmers to where John Deere feels they have to put a kill switch you know uh, effectively i mean and, and and it's not exactly clear they have a kill switch though it's i mean that they have one by design yes they could do it that's obvious with the you know with the the software that exists um then yeah i, I mean if it's that big of a problem well then you know one customers one or two customer service people aren't going to be able to handle probably the amount of calls that would come from farmers uh so anyway that that's a huge concern uh with all this but uh but let's let's read on here um A license agreement John Deere required farmers to sign in October, that would have been of uh, 2016, forbids nearly all repair and modification to farming equipment and prevents farmers from suing for, quote, Crop loss, lost profits, loss of goodwill, loss of use of equipment arising from the performance or non-performance of any aspect of the software, end quote. The agreement applies to anyone who turns the key or otherwise uses a John Deere tractor with embedded software. It means that only John Deere dealerships and, quote-unquote, authorized repair shops—who knows what you have to do to be able to get that? The license fees are probably outrageous—can uh, work on newer tractors. Quote, if a farmer bought the tractor— he should be able to do whatever he wants with it, end quote. Kevin Kenny, a farmer and a right-to-repair advocate in Nebraska, told me. Damn right, Kevin Kenny. Quote, you want to replace a transmission and you take it to an independent mechanic. He can put in the new tra- uh, transmission, but the tractor can't drive out of the shop. Deer charges $230 plus $130 an hour for a technician to drive out and plug a connector into their USB port to authorize the part, end quote. What you've got, or quote, again, what you've got is technicians running around here with cracked Ukrainian John Deere software that they bought off of the black market, end quote, he added. Ooh, Kenny and Cluth have been pushing for right-to-repair legislation in Nebraska that would invalidate John Deere's license agreement. Seven other states are considering similar bills. Um, In the meantime, farmers have started hacking their machines because even simple repairs are made impossible by the embedded software within the tractor. John Deere is one of the staunchest opponents of this legislation. Quote, there's software out there a guy can get his hands on if he looks for it. Uh, And uh, quote: one farmer and repair mechanic in Nebraska who uses cracked John Deere software told me, Quote, I'm not a I'm not a big business or anything, but let's say you've got a guy here who has a tractor and something goes wrong with it. The nearest dealership is 40 miles away, but you've got me or a diesel shop a mile away. The only way we can fix things is illegally, which is what's holding back free enterprise more than anything and hampers a farmer's ability to get stuff done, too. End quote. Holy shit. These brilliant fucking farmers. And I mean, and and technicians and repairmen. I mean, it's kind of a funny thing. I said this years ago. I remember saying this because, uh, you know, I used to be, I mean, and to some degree, I still am. I used to really be into cars and I actually was 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 talking to someone uh, who was, uh, uh, you know, decades long, uh, you know, uh, car mechanic. And, you know, I said to him, I was like, look, I said, I'm going to be able to do your job better than you because these things are just rolling computers. That's all they are now. You know, like I could be, uh, you know, I mean, I can fix cars anyway, but you get my point. And that's exactly what's going on here. So reading on, I went searching for one of the forums where pirated John Deere, this is the, the writer of the article talking, uh, where pirated John Deere firmware is sold. After I found it, I couldn't do much of anything without joining. I was sent an email with instructions, which required me to buy a $25 dummy diagnostic part from a third party website. Instead of the part, I was sent a code to join the forum. Once I was on it, I found dozens of threads from farmers desperate to fix and modify their own tractors. According to people on the forums and the farmers who use it, much of the software is cracked in Eastern European countries, such as Poland and Ukraine, and then sold back to farmers in the United States. Woo! That's a business opportunity, baby. Uh, I mean, and and the article is amazing because it covers all the shit that you can buy, you know, from these forums um, and, and the, the forums look great, very professional. <laughs> I don't even think you had to log on to Tor. You know, they're just, they're kind of hidden, and, and they're sneaky in how they're giving you the code, you know, to the site. It's like, well, we'll sell you this part, and then you get the part, and that kind of, you know, that that sends you to it and everything, you know, who knows, maybe sending you the part gets a background check of some kind. I don't, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, quote, if things could get better, companies like John Deere should be forced to freely distribute the same software dealers have, end quote, they said. And, uh, quote, and stop locking down engine control module reading functionality. They do do this to force you to use their services, which they have a 100 percent monopoly on End quote, oh, there's that word monopoly again. See, the only real way you can have a monopoly is if. All right, because look, as soon as you get into the world of software and all that, everything's crackable, baby. And it just is. And, and companies know this. John Deere knows this. All these people know this. All right, And that's my point is that today there is absolutely and I know a lot of people want to talk about, oh, well, there's, you know, there's benevolent monopolies like the, you know, the company that makes aluminum foil and blah, 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 blah. No, 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 no. <laughs> Even that would be a very, very different uh, a chain of events if if we're actually in a free market. But my point being is that to have a monopoly, you have to somehow have this kind of control and have it be enforced, which John Deere does by law. Just by contracts that people, for some reason, think matter. Well, I mean, I know the reasons, because if you don't obey them, uh, you get the you know, you get guns pointed at you because you didn't pay attention to a piece of paper. Unbelievable. Um, So, you know, this is I mean, this is the right reaction to happen is that. You know, some enterprising individuals in Eastern Europe start making, you know, firmware that that allows you to continue on and modify, you know, your John Deere uh, and whatever else. Um, I think that's that's a damned heroic act. Black markets for the fucking win. Go system D. I love it. We'll be back with more. Whoa. Hey. All right. (laughs) Talking about, you know, having control of software and, you know, maybe if you need to ever get your hands on, um, I wouldn't say illegal, but maybe you need to get your hands on some unique uh, things. Maybe you want to try it out with cryptocurrencies. I bet that would make that process a lot simpler if you needed some uh, Ukrainian software, perhaps. Um, So, how do you keep an eye on cryptocurrencies? CryptoCompare.com I'm not saying CryptoCompare.com is involved in any of this This is just a great way to keep an eye on what are the best, uh, you know, what are the prices, what are the best things to do? Go to CryptoCompare.com and I thank them for supporting Sovereign Tech and that's all they're supporting. Let's get back to the show.
0: This place is amazing.
1: Everything we imagined, Dr. Goldblossom.
0: I'm still cold.
1: Aw, come here, Valeria. Pixel, are you in the main computer for this place? We need to get the heat and the lights on in here.
0: I'm in. This is really old. Like, really old. What is this place, Brian? Well
1: popular conspiracy theory goes that in the 1940s, the Nazis built a base here, in Antarctica. But the not-so-popular theory goes that they just found one. From the looks of things, they never got in it, though.
0: Good. I hate Nazis.
1: Oh, we all do, Valeria. Good job, Pixel. Everything's turning on.
0: Things may be turning on in here, Agent Sovereign. But the rest of the world is turning off. What? Agent Sovereign, look at this. What is...
1: Great Satan? The entire world's internet infrastructure is collapsing, along with the power grids. Pixel, are we... It wasn't us, Agent Sovereign. The blackout started over an
0: hour ago. This base won't be affected. It's like a massive DDoS attack. Every connected device on the planet is
1: attacking itself. It's the
0: Internet of Targets. It is
1: time for Internet of Targets, where we talk about IoT, that being the Internet of Things. Um, and, you know, we all know what the S stands for in IoT. It stands for security. And guess what? There's no S in IoT. Woo! <laughs> As we always say on this show. Um, this is kind of an interesting uh, uh, twist on IoT. Uh, and I, I read what I consider to be kind of a a, a, a a concerning article and not, not just concerning, you know, in what it showed off, but that it highlighted, it showed, you know, I was was saying earlier that like, you know, to have intellectual property, to have so many things actually work, you really have to have a surveillance state for it to be, you know, like, like really foolproof to where everybody's going to get, you know, everything's going to be fair and the patent system and, and IP is going to do what it needs to do. Um, and this, (laughs) I said, I was like, we would talk about, you know, maybe how, you know, what a world looks like that, that would kind of allow for that, you know, a technology that may allow for that. And this actually comes out of Disney world, um, of all places. And, you know, and this is interesting because I think Disney world, well, Disney world's a microcosm for a lot of things, but that, that, that could be a whole other conversation. I could talk about Disney till I'm blue in the face. Um, cause I'm naturally green and <laughs> ooh, whoops, <laughs> Uh, but at Disney world, there was a write up. I put a link in the show notes for it. Uh, it's also from Gizmodo, uh, where Adam, uh, Adam Estes went there and he put on, now I've been to Disney world, but it's been a long, long time. I lived in Florida for a few years. Uh, and at that time, Disney world did not have this technology. What the technology is called. It's called a magic band. Okay. And a magic band, it's something that you buy and it's kind of a smartwatch Kind or, you know, kind of. And mainly, it's just a beacon, um, and what this allows for, and this is this is you know kind of interesting, is you know you can set it up. It works as your ticket. Uh, it works to unlock your hotel room. It works to you know like it gives you access to everything. I, I think it even works as like a payment processor. Uh, you know, like throughout the entire park. And not only that, but if you have a magic uh, a Magic Band. You can actually with an app or on the website for Disney world, you can like, you know, weeks or months in advance before your trip, you know, because you always plan for Disney world months in advance. Cause it's going to be just such a magical fucking time, especially with your magic band. You can, you know, you, you can set that whole thing up and you like, you can set up uh, what rides you're going to go to and what time you're going to go to them. And then you just walk right up to the ride. You flash your little magic band, doesn't even need to be a person there. And it opens up the little gate for you or whatever. And you can go right in there. And I mean, I watched a video where they showed off like how, how all this works and it's pretty impressive to watch. Okay. It's very impressive to watch, but when Adam Estes goes, you know, and, and uses this, I mean, again, like, I mean, you can even reserve times at a restaurant. I mean, you can do all this stuff in this magic band is, you know, it's your, it's your, uh, you know, key to the city. for, for the whole thing. And it takes you everywhere. Um, but when he went, he started noticing some kind of, some interesting things. Like one thing that happened is he was on, uh, one of the, the log rides. Okay. And so these have been around since 2013, to be clear. Uh, and it's, I definitely haven't been to Disney world, you know, since then, (laughs) but, uh, but he was on, you know, he was on, a, uh, you know, What was it a a space mountain or whatever, wherever that log ride comes down on, you know, and the water splashes or whatever. And the ride actually broke. And so he gets off of the ride, you know, and there's there's a stairwell that you can walk down. And 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 he does that and he goes down it. And then, you know, within a few minutes, he gets a picture sent to his app, you know, on his phone of the the you know, the log boat, whatever that is, the boat that's supposed to look like two logs. Uh, You know, with it empty. Now it's empty because, you know, the, the ride broke. But why did he get the picture? Because he walked past a beacon on that ride where that recognizes, you know, your magic band's code. And and it takes a picture. So it's supposed to be showing you like having a good time. Right. Like, I mean, they used to sell these things to you, you know, where it's like five bucks for a picture of, you know, they'll set up a camera right at the big splash point or something on a ride. Right. Disney's obviously not the only one that does that. But to do it through the magic band is interesting. But it sent the empty picture because. Again, you know, the ride was broken. There was nobody on it when it got to that stage, um, of it, but he just thought that that was so weird. He's like, why did it do that? And that's, you know, that's cause that's when the beacon went off and it obviously it interacted with when the log ride, uh, was going past that beacon. Okay. And the beacon works on a, and, and he actually, he broke, uh, he broke open and sent to a proper hacker, uh, one of these magic bands. And it has two radios. Um, one of them is just simple RFID, which That's a problem. (laughs) RFID is a a huge scary risk, depending upon the information involved, uh, you know, that it has on it. And then it also has a uh, wireless uh, uh, antenna, which does, uh, which is at the 2.4 gigahertz range, okay, which allows for the greatest amount of range, not the most powerful, but the greatest amount of range. Um, so, and, you know, and, and so obviously, you know, that that's, that's how all this went down is that you have these beacons all over and that's, and he talked to people, Adam Estes went and talked to, you know, people, uh, you know, uh, employees at, and management at Disney world and said, okay, how exactly does all this happen? How does all this work now? Two things. First off is that he found out, he said that there's actually no personally identifying information on the magic band. That's very hard to believe. And there's only one way that I can imagine that that works is that. The Disney world's like servers has your information, obviously like your reservations for going on rides or, you know, for your hotel room or whatever, which obviously is attached to a credit card or something. Uh, but they put that behind a pin number of some kind. And then all your magic band has is that pin number. And really the only time that it matters that, that you connect with Disney servers with that pin number and that it would be able to identify you or the information it needs, like maybe the payment information or something like this, if it ends, if it works out that way. And of course they're already up to magic band too. So, you know, new features are getting added in all the time. Um, then I could see where maybe there wouldn't be any personally identifying information on there, but you're really taking Disney's word for that. Okay. That there isn't now largely it seems to only be useful, you know, within, within that space. It seems you know, useful only with, within that space, uh, you know, within, within Disney world itself. So you could say, well, what's the problem? It's not like it's going to be watching me uh, wherever I happen to go, but here's the thing. What if like, you know, I could see kids and, and again, this is, this is in many ways, a full on smartwatch. I could see people, you know, wearing their magic band, you know, cause they think it's, it's really cool. I mean, this is definitely meant to be like a full on accessory that maybe you never really take off. Okay, uh, because you always want to be thinking about Disney World and going to that magical place. <laughs> Which, hey, I, look, I'm not saying I'm not going to check out the new Star Wars parks and even the Avatar parks. Okay, I'm I'm on board for that. But fortunately, the Magic Band is optional. It's not something you have to you know have to go with. So, but Adam Estes correctly you know had the concern is that what if in Disney stores or other stores where Disney is just uh you know Disney is is one of the the product providers at a store, what if you know, they have these same beacons that are all set up around and, and understand like that the magic band has a communication range of about a hundred feet. Okay. But what if, what if these beacons with this identifying code, um, you know, are all over the place, you know, like what if they're in stores, what if they're in Walmart, what if wherever Disney products are sold and where the hell aren't they sold? Um, and you know, what if that information is getting sent out then? I mean, and, and, you know, this would be in the realm of conspiracy theory, I think, but then I'm reminded of easy pass, easy pass in new England is, and it's used elsewhere too, is this little box. And now it's almost a required thing. If you want to use the highway system in some, in like in Massachusetts, in some areas is a little box that, you know, has a code attached to your, to your credit card. Okay. And then you get a monthly statement and, you know, instead of pulling up and you give uh, you know, the, uh, you know, whatever the person at, at the, the gate for the highway, you know, instead of giving them a dollar or $2 or whatever, uh, you know, you just, you just go right through because your easy pass just sends out the signal and away you go. Now it was always claimed that the easy pass uh, data was only being collected when you were on the throughway or highways, you know, that, that worked with the easy pass system. But then it was proved two years ago, we covered this on sovereign tech that no, it was always sending out data and people were collecting it. Government people, government goons we're collecting that information. So again, who are you going to believe? You know, and, and that's the thing, like with the easy pass, it's the same deal. You never take it off your windshield. You know, you don't take it off your windshield and wrap it up in aluminum foil. Well, I might do that, but <laughs> in fact, I do, but, but you know, what I mean? like most people don't, don't take those things off. They slap them on cause they has like double stick tape or whatever, and they leave it there. So, but You know, when when the story is fascinating because Adam Estes is going around the park and there's so many little things that are happening that are seemingly magical that are occurring for him that his magic band is allowing to happen for him automatically. But at the same time, he properly realizes that this is all only happening. Because the magic band and in conjunction with these, you know, beacons that are, you know, either, you know, kind of a Bluetooth or, you know, the the 2.4 gigahertz signal. um, It's kind of similar to Bluetooth and how it was functioning. You know, that all these different beacons, you know, those two working in conjunction were literally watching every single thing he did. Everything. And so what you have with Disney World, looking at it, is a surveillance state in microcosm. Okay. Now. You know, certainly Disney puts, you know, kind of like in the in the in the Eula, OK, for the, um you know, for the magic band. It says that. Well, you know, we might collect some of this data to, you know, help make our parks more efficient and all this stuff. And, you know, look, I mean, they're honest when they say that. At least in part, they're honest that, yes, they do use this data to make their parks more efficient. I mean, Disney, it's been known for a long time. They hire mathematicians to, I mean, like like full-on mathematicians to figure out, okay, what's the most, uh, you know, efficient way to get this many people over here and for them to walk this far and all this. I mean, it's a finely tuned system, you know, with, with with Disney World. But it is, you know, understand that if you want to see, <laughs> like, this, this is what was interesting to me for, with this article is because, you know, understand... Disney world today. And I guess Disneyland would kind of be the same thing, but understand Disney world today. And you are getting a look at the future of everything that the CIA, the NSA, AT&T, all these different government organizations. Okay. Are setting up on you like that. That's, this is where all of this is going. Okay. If you want to understand how it can actually work in Disney world, I mean, it, it's a great, I'd love to see a college paper on it because, well, not that I want people to go to college, but you know what I mean? Okay. I'd love to see the great research done showing, okay, you know, like this is how it actually functions. This is how it happens. And you know, again, years ago and, and still, obviously there's probably some people that feel this way. That's why they offer the option or and maybe because the magic band costs a lot or something. I don't know. Uh, even though it costs, a, <laughs> it costs a buttload to get into, into Disney world uh, these days anyway. Um, but they still offer the option to just use tickets and, you know, do everything manually. But eventually, maybe it'll be like the easy pass where they say, yeah, we have the manual stuff. But no, uh, actually, now, yeah, sorry, you need to get If you want to be on this highway, you need to get an easy pass, uh, you know, little little box. And so maybe Disney World in the future be like, no, you need to get a magic wand. And that's how things will work in the broader world. In the rest, outside of Disney World, outside of the magical world, into the dystopian world. But you can look. At everything that that Disney World has put into place, and you are absolutely seeing in the open, because you can ask them about it, and they'll actually tell you about, well, seemingly most of it, what it all, how it all works, and what it all looks like. So, yeah, guess what? All this shit's possible. Woo, baby! Oh, all right, enough of the dystopian shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe not exactly. We're going to have fun in a second. Um, but I want to tell you, look, if you want to get access to hundreds of more hours of Sovereign Tech, you can listen to every, you know, every main episode of Sovereign Tech going back to 2012, you know, five years. You can listen to all that for free. You can just go to, you know, go to SovereignTech.com or go on SoundCloud, SoundCloud.com slash Sovereign Tech, and you can find that. But if you want hundreds of hours of bonus content where you get to interact, we just had a live hangout this past Sunday. It was awesome. Stephanie was on. Everything it was great. You have become a Sovereign Tech patron. Just go to SovereignTech.com. That'll take you right to the Patreon page, and you can become a patron. You want this. Woo! Let's get back to the show.
0: We can tell we're the only place left that has power. And since it's not safe to travel around the rest of the planet, we might as well start looking around for what we came for. At least it's warm in here now. What are we looking for anyway? History, Valeria. History. The history
1: of humanity. History of technology. Maybe even ancient technology. What some have even called Sargonian technology.
0: Sargonian technology? It's
1: a long story. Regardless, I think... Wait, what's this? Stephanie, give me a hand. Pull on that handle over there.
0: This one? Yeah. Pull hard. (sighs) It's... it's... beautiful. What is happening? I've never seen... I I suddenly feel so...
1: I think we just found our history. History. It is time for tech history where I like to break into the history of tech. And, you know, this can be a pretty broad subject at some point in the near future. I want to hone it down because I really want to get into like some very uh, specific use cases of like technology from the past that, you know, maybe people forgot about, but that is suddenly, you know, reintroduced as some sort of new product you know, with a totally new name, totally new company or whatever. And you didn't know that it was something from, from before, or maybe this will be my little teaching hospital where I'll explain, uh, you know, how a lot of tech works, you know, based upon its historical precepts. Um, you know, I've had some people ask me like explain SSL and, and some other things. And I would love to deep dive into that stuff. Uh, so maybe we'll, you know, maybe we'll, we'll turn into that in the future, but I've got something kind of fun I want to talk about this week. Okay, and this is going to get into the realm of science, tech and a bunch of other things. And, uh, you know, we're going to go back and forth in time here, uh, all the way back to the 50s and 60s to the very present. Um, And boy, I've been reading a lot from Gizmodo this week. which kudos to them actually one of my a, a, a woman i just think she is wonderful um and that is a christina warren she actually she she kind of took over at jismodo like like she has a, a a pretty high position there and i've noticed the quality of things go up significantly and maybe that has something to do with her i i'm not sure but but she's i, I really i think she's cool um I'm, I'm sure we don't see eye to eye on a lot of things but i i do think she's cool <laughs> so anyway um this was uh th- the story that that Kind of inspired what I wanted to talk about here uh, is titled, Trust Me, and this is from this past Friday. Trust Me, living on the moon will be hell. Okay. And what it's talking about, and that's not what I'm going to spend the most of the time talking about, what it's talking about is that recently, well, in 2009, it was first discovered, and we might have talked about these actually being on Mars on Sovereign Tech in the past. Uh, what you have are lava tubes. Lava tubes are these formations that occur. They occur on earth. They, you know, they, they can occur on, on just about any planetoid really, as long as it has the proper makeup. Okay. What it is, is that you'll have magma. Okay. You'll have a, a degree, not, not necessarily volcanic activity, but you know, you'll have activity. <laughs> okay. Um, where magma will, you know, be shooting up onto the surface of wherever it could be on earth. Now the theory is it's on the moon. <laughs> it could be on Mars. Perhaps in the past, we, we've talked about that. Um, And when, when that, you know, when the magma, when the lava effectively at that point cools, you end up with these empty, like you end up with these, they're not artificial because the magma action isn't artificial, but you end up with these caves, you end up with these net with this kind of natural cave system. That's, that's often, you know, beautiful and, you know, many, many, you know, kilometers long, really, uh, that, you know, it could be tens of kilometers long. You know, some of these just depends on, on, you know, when and where, and, in 2009, they actually discovered um, that, uh, was it, around uh, Marius Hills on the moon, okay, that there were uh, seemingly lava tubes there. And they more or less just started announcing um, a lot of this. And then just in this past year, you know, in 2016, uh, Japan's uh, Kaguya spacecraft, uh, they actually, you know, they found quite a few of these. And, you know, they're planning on kind of uh, uh, mapping them. To, you know, to some degree to see, okay, how far do these sorts of things go? So they're finding what appear to be lava tunnels or lava tubes on the moon. And so now the theory is is coming. It's like, oh, we have these cave systems. So now we have a natural formation within which if we wanted to, you know, colonize, inhabit the moon, which, you know, we talked about was a two week, two, three weeks ago when we had the lovely and hyper intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy on. Uh, we talked about how was it? Is it Elon is going to be sending a, a, a bourgeois couple, you know, uh, for a trip around the moon? Well, that's tantamount to eventually settling the moon. And I I think this is this is going to be a reality uh, in the future, because also, of course, I think we've been to the moon. I know some people don't, uh, but Okay. Uh, anyway, (laughs) so but now the theory goes that there's actually lava tubes there and, you know, you could inhabit these lava tubes. You could set I mean, you have these artificial structures that you pretty much just have to close off and, you know, and and build around instead of creating entire independent structures. Um, Now, there have been a lot of theories about how to I mean, this this is a great idea. In fact, the reason we talked about it about about them on Mars is because then it became plausible to okay we have these you know we have these natural structures these lava tubes potentially on Mars uh that that we could use as bases of operation you know for or, you know for, for new colonies effectively um on Mars. And it's very exciting, you know, to think about that because the cost that gets saved when really all you have to do is make a door, you know, <laughs> instead of a superstructure uh that you know to, to for everybody to live within um you know that, that becomes very enticing. So, you know, to find them on the moon, you know, that, that makes things all the more plausible because it makes it all the less, all the less expensive, which is good. So I'm excited about that. Um, but, you know, in the past, some of the ideas that have been talked about is that you would have inflatable buildings. And this is still being talked about for Mars. Uh, some other interesting concepts for Mars in particular, because it's kind of a unique case, this wouldn't really work on the moon, is that you would actually, you would build ice houses on, the, on, on Mars, uh, like literal ice houses. <laughs> you know, because they would keep the temperature normal compared to, and it's a great insulator. uh, And, and since Mars is already so cold, uh, you know, the ice wouldn't melt or anything and that would make up your superstructure. And I, and that's a brilliant idea for Mars. Uh, But for the moon, you know, that doesn't necessarily work so much. Um, And the moon's got a lot of good qualities going for you, you know, it has a degree of gravity. I mean, you know, kind of, it has, now we know that there's ice there where you could get water and other things. Um, I mean, it, And it's so close that you could just get shipments of stuff, even if you didn't create uh, an independent, uh, uh, you know, ecology of some kind that you could live off of there. Uh, So, you know, this is this is very enticing. But the interesting thing is that as soon as I read about it, it just it reminded me of something because you know, this is not a new idea at all. Okay. <laughs> and I put two links in the show notes. So if you want to read more about this, uh, I brought up another story from 2014, even though I could have just went to Wikipedia or something uh, to bring up about it. But there was an idea in the 1960s called Project Horizon. Okay. Now Project Horizon was the brainchild of literally an army general. Okay. And this is an idea that really can, <laughs> can only come out of, you know, like times like the Cold War and the space race, right? So Project Horizon's idea was, was literally setting up a military base on the moon. Okay. Now they didn't know anything about these lava tubes. Otherwise shit, maybe they would have done it. In fact, some people think that Project Horizon actually, uh, no pun intended, got off the ground that there's already bases on the moon. And that's why people stopped going there because, A, you don't need to, or B, you don't want them to find, you know, these bases that were set up by, uh, the U S military. Okay. But this whole Project horizon, I mean, it was just a few years ago that a lot of, I mean, people had already were talking about it before, but a lot of the, the papers about it were declassified only in the past few years about project horizon. Um, I mean, and they've got, you know, the big secret stamp on them too. I mean, this was, this was serious business because one of the first things that they were talking about doing with project horizon, again, we're talking about in the 1960s here. One of the first things that they were talking about doing was, um, you know, like setting up a uh, nuclear, uh, you know, nuclear facilities. And I don't mean, yes, they were going to set, they were going to use nuclear power as the power plant on the moon. All right. But they were setting up nuclear weapons facilities to be able to launch at the earth. So, I mean, it, it's, it's fascinating to look into. I mean, and it was a really, really well drawn out plan. Like you said, all right, first we start off with 20, 25 people, um, you know, that, that end up going there and, and then, you know, they'll, they'll start setting up, uh, you know, some of these, uh, some of these buildings, you know, these different sustainable colonies uh, that maybe, you know, that get oxygen working in such a way towards uh, maybe to a degree uh, recyclable along with water and all this different, you know, they, they'd have this very simple team that would do it. um, And, like you know 1964 was supposed to be the start date for this now some people think that the you know the Apollo missions were really just a vanguard to see okay how probable is it to you know even set up a base on the moon um and well you know I mean I there's there's not really any evidence for that. It, it's not really discussed in Project Horizon that that's what they were doing at all. Uh, I mean, you could say maybe there's a Project Horizon two that we don't know about, and 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 that's what you know that's what's happening. Uh, and, and you know that the Apollo missions would would somehow be a part of that. But yeah, I mean that you know we're getting into heavy realms of speculation, which I don't mind running to. But that's what they are. Let's be clear about that. So Project Horizon was was a real thing. Um, and again, a lot of people thought that. Oh, yeah, they, they already did this. Uh, it, in fact, it even speaks to Alternative 3, which is something we've talked about uh, in the oh uh, probably the past year on Sovereign Tech, which was another theory that actually a Russian, a joint Russian and U.S. Uh, team, you know, astronauts and cosmonauts went to Mars and set up a base there in 1969, which is interesting because Project Horizons timeline, which Alternative 3, nobody, you know, like, the evidence is scant. There's not like, you know, government documents or anything, at least none that have been declassified, I guess, uh, you know, or known or that are known of, um, out there for it. But with project horizon, the interesting thing is, is that the plan started in 64 it was supposed to start in 64 and it had a five-year timeline to where finally everything was getting set up and completed by 1969, the same date that was claimed by alternative three, that the Mars base was actually set up. Some people want to go wild with their speculation and say, well, maybe Project Horizon used the moon as a fill in word for Mars. But then, you know, what what exact what launches went to Mars? How did all that happen? You know, I mean, like, yeah, you run into all kinds of problems with all of these theories. OK, but. I just find it interesting that now, you know, with the finding of these lava tubes, that now there's a lot of talk about, hey, actually, well, this, you know, this reignites uh, really the potential of inexpensively colonizing the moon uh, when this is so far from from a new idea. I mean, this is something that had real, uh, real push, congressional push behind it, real potential money behind it, um, and the military was going to be all for it. Of course, now, I mean, you know, the UN, they had their space treaty in 69 or whatever that said you can't use nukes in space and all this stuff, which... You know, (laughs) how many governments listen to the U.N. all the time, right? But anyway, whatever. Um, I just I thought that that was interesting. I thought that was an interesting find. But it's something that's really been thought about for a very, very long time. And it kind of stands against the whole fake moon landing. Like, why would you prep to colonize? it?
0: The reviews are in and Babylon 5's a winner. The New York Daily News says Babylon 5 could make Star Wars look like a walk in the park. The Chicago Sun-Times calls it a welcome addition to the sci-fi universe. Impressive, perfectly scaled for TV, raves the L.A. times. And the Kansas City Star says Babylon 5 is one space station you're likely to want to visit frequently. See for yourself what everyone's talking about on Babylon 5.
1: Babylon 5 is available for download on your favorite torrent site. See it now to experience the greatest show in television history, Babylon 5. Dr. Goldblossom, come here, quick!
0: Agent Sovereign? I thought I heard... Agent Sovereign? What? You all look... What is that? Mm. Join us, Doctor. Oh! Oh, my! I suddenly feel... I feel so strange, but so good. Join us, Doctor. What is happening? I feel like I'm becoming
1: the future, Doctor Goldblossom. You're becoming the future.
0: Where is Pit Mr. Goldblossom. Oh, Stephanie. What is going on? Oh, I see you have finally found the base's transmogrifier. I was hoping that wouldn't take too long, and it's already taking effect. Everything is going according to plan. Oh, Pixel. Come over here with Valeria and I. We want to have some fun. Mm -hmm. Coming, ladies. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, my. Ancient sovereign. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh. Welcome to the future, everyone. The climax.
1: Ah. <laughs> of course, what is Agent Sovereign and, uh, and the ladies going to end up doing next time? Could they be setting up a base on the moon? Oh, my. <laughs> anyway it is time for the climax where i can talk about whatever the hell i want to talk about it doesn't have to be science or tech related it could be anything it could be a topic it could be a movie It could be a comic book in fact we do we've been doing movie reviews uh the past few weeks uh and people have really enjoyed the hell out of those and i'm honored i'm glad you want to hear my opinion about movies because uh certainly there's plenty of opinions when it comes to movies um this week i have a topic because probably the next movie I'm going to see won't be until uh, well, Fast and the Furious when the when Fast and the Furious Eight comes out, I'll talk about that, uh, and I'll probably have Stephanie on to talk about that too because we both love that series, <laughs> our guilty pleasure. Um, because there ain't many pleasures with us that that we consider guilty, baby. Ooh, no guilt at all. <laughs> anyway, um, so I want to tell you a story, and it's set the way back machine for, uh, let's see, this would be 1997, 1998. I'm a, I'm a senior in high school. Well, actually I was, uh, I was a sophomore at the time or junior, right? Junior is 11th grade. So I was a junior at the time and it was just before senior year and I graduated, you know, I was class of 99. And um, this is Whitesboro High School, in case you're wondering. And you can you can Google this and, and find some about it, but understand, you know, the internet wasn't the news juggernaut at the time, so it's a little difficult to find it. Um, I know some people still have the newspapers from this, and there was even appearances on the local news. Uh, Whitesboro High School is in uh, Utica. It's it's by Utica, New York, which is upstate New York, a place that I lived for a good while, uh, amongst you know, obviously other places I've lived uh, in New York and in the world, but um. You know, I, I've always been a nerd. And if, you know, if listening to the show long enough, didn't, didn't clue you into that, (laughs) I don't know what to do for you, but I was also the kind of nerd that, you know, would, would be one of the ones that would get picked on a lot, you know, because like I, when I do, when I'm into anything, I am all in. Right. So like when I'm growing up and I'm into Star Trek and Star Wars, I am all in baby. Like I am more than proud To, you know, wear a uniform to school or, you know, be really dorky, do really geeky shit, whatever. Um, And I mean, granted, like I had some very traumatic ordeals, you know, uh, especially like, you know, before high school, uh, in school. That led me to there was a brief moment where I was homeschooled. uh, I got kicked out of a school. I mean, like I I had out of a Christian school, I had had a bunch of, you know, I had a lot of different issues, uh, you know, back back then. Um, So when I ended up going back to a regular school system, to a public school system uh, like Whitesboro, well, I mean, it had been a few years and, you know, I was in the Whitesboro public school system previously. And I, uh, you know, at the time I was picked on all the time, you know, I was considered that nerd or whatever, but when I come back, you know, a few years later, a couple of years later, suddenly I'm this, you know, six foot one, 200 pound, you know, kind of, kind of giant. And, you know, I was somebody that, you know, I was at the time I was working out quite a bit and everything, even at that, you know, even as a freshman in high school. Um, and you know, I ended up having to, and I'm not proud of any of this. So this is not no boasting whatsoever. I ended up having to deal with uh, kind of repeats or attempted repeats at, you know, getting picked on and, and, and all this, uh, you know, back in the late nineties in high school. And, um, you know, I got in a lot of fights, honestly, in my freshman year. Um, and I'm not, again, there's no pride whatsoever in this, but I'm just saying I won most of those fights and that, uh, unfortunately in, in the disgusting, you know, way that, that, that kids are, are taught and raised in public schools, uh, that, that, that earned me, um, an odd respect to where I wouldn't get picked on so much anymore. However, because I'm a big nerd, who did I hang out with? Wasn't hanging out with the jocks. I hung out with the big nerds, (laughs) you know, the other ones. And they, however, were not spared from, you know, from being picked on and from, you know, everything else, you know, all the things that, that, you know, you kind of, that, that seem cliche now and maybe even ridiculous now, but it was really bad you know, in, in the nineties and even before look, not everybody was watching game of Thrones or doctor who at the time they just weren't. And it's sad, but whatever. I mean, I don't care if people watch those shows. I'm just saying that, you know, there wasn't the respect for, uh, you know, the fantastical, uh, back then that there seems to be now. So long story short, my friends and or my friends in particular, maybe not so much me, but you know, I was with them and, and it would annoy the hell out of me when, you know, their books would get slapped out of their hands. And, you know, even though they wouldn't touch mine, but we, we came up with an idea. Okay. Cause there ended up being like, I don't know, maybe, maybe 13 of us or so that, that sort of became a, a group. And, you know, and, and, and some of us, I mean, stayed friends for decade, you know, a decade or more, you know, after that, even, I mean like th- these, you know, going through these sorts of things, create friendships that, you know, can really last a lifetime. Um. And we came up with this idea that we're just like, you know what? Whenever one of those fuckers mess with us, you know, speaking to like jocks or whoever, and, and I don't mean anything mean towards jocks. I mean, we're all kind of like in this terrible prison known as public school at the same time. Now I have empathy for a lot of it, but. So we had this idea. It's like, if they mess with us, let's just like yell something in their face. Now we had this one buddy named Steve and he he came up with this idea of yelling the word Svegan. Like he just goes, Svegan! It was the weirdest damn thing in the world. But he'd do that. And like it it, it totally, it just like bugged, you know, it bugged the guy out. Like people would run into lockers and stuff because they'd be like, what the hell? What, what are they doing yelling at us? Like that's not the response you get. You're supposed to get the fear response, right? When, you know, when a jock comes and picks on a nerd. They're supposed to be, oh, oh, don't hurt me, you know, or, or some kind of like sadness or something like that. But instead it's in your face yelling out some kind of word. So, but Svegan, yeah, we didn't, we didn't really like that. I don't know. There was, it rubbed a lot of us the the wrong way for, I think maybe obvious reasons. But so we decided to use the word and maybe some people that had listened to free talk live over the years back when I was on free talk live might've heard the story, but if you hadn't, but we decided to use the word melt. Now just out of the gate, using a verb was an issue that was problematic. And we didn't think that through, but fuck, we were 16, 17, 18. I mean, come on. So whenever, you know, somebody would, would come to, you know, mess with, with one of us or something, we would just, just yell at them. It just, you know, top of their lungs, top of our lungs, Mel. I, I know it sounds ridiculous, right? But it was absolutely what, it was just, it was just what we did. And, I mean, it would, it would freak them out. It just bugged them out and, and eventually got to the point to where we would be walking around almost like a gang, you know, in the hallways, right, at school. And we'd just be yelling it out all over the place, you know, like, you know, 10, 10, 13 of us, whatever, just, you know, walking down, melt, melt, melt. And, and it kind of caught on because then, like, normal people, you know, and even some of the gals and whatever, and things got interesting there. Whew, but, you know, they'd start saying it back. You know, it, it with uh, with a bit of adoration, it was the damnedest thing, and it was really all just to like, you know, we just wanted to fuck with the heads, okay? You know, we didn't want to. I mean, most of these guys literally could not hurt a fly. I mean, their arms—they had spaghetti arms, and I mean that with with you know with love, okay? But I mean, they just had twigs for arms. Like, you know, they're they're not they're not most of them you know, we're not going to go beating anybody up. They're not going to be able to fight back or anything. So they just, they came up with a mental game and the mental game was, is to do something that they positively could not, uh, you know, expect, but somehow, and, and unfortunately, maybe it kind of had to do with the fact that the word melt again is a verb. It's an action. It kind of started to freak them out. And, you know, I mean, this became a big deal. And in fact, we even came up with this great idea, um, in our junior year. So this would have been, I guess, 98. We came up with the idea of 3-3, March 3rd, okay, of 98, was going to be melt day. And this was a day where, you know, it's 3-3 because 33 degrees is the, the temperature at which ice melts, right, in Fahrenheit. So that, that was the brilliance. And that was going to, you know, we were just, we were so happy because we weren't getting picked on anymore. It was like, we won, <laughs> you know, it was, it was really something. And, you know, we we were uh, anyway, we did that. And unfortunately, what happened not too long after was um, uh, uh, Columbine and a lot of these other other situations now. You know, the Columbine shootings and all that, I mean, like, again, understand, please understand that my friends and myself, I mean, we were just some of the most peaceful people you could ever meet in your life. You know, we're all just nuts about Star Trek and, and whatever else and heavy metal and everything. I mean, you know, r- really peaceful guys. Um, it didn't help, admittedly, that I was wearing all black, as I still do. Uh, and, you know, that was kind of one of the attributes laid out by, um, um, you know, during during what happened in Columbine and everything. Yeah, man. So, so we did this and like teachers and all these other people, like it got really blown out of proportions. People were making t-shirts that said I survived melt day and all this because they thought that we created melt day and we were going to go into the school and do something bad. I mean, just not at all. And in fact, we were asked to not show up to school on March 3rd. We were said, we were told, look, just don't, just don't be here. Uh, otherwise there's, you know, there's going to be some kind of trouble. And so we didn't go and we all just went bowling, you know, literally. And which is also kind of ironic in hindsight, because of course, you know, Michael Moore movies, Michael Moore's movie, Bowling for Columbine, kind of weird, but we went bowling because that's just, you know, something that we we do here and there. I wanted to go roller skating, but whatever, not everybody can roller skate like me. So <laughs> um, I'm a championship roller skater, by the way, if you didn't know that. So. Uh, I mean, it was just it was the damnedest thing. But it got crazy because suddenly, you know, with the whole Melt Day thing and it was just a day where we literally were going to celebrate. We were just going to have a good time. That night we went to the local Greek restaurant, Simeon's, uh, which is a very classy place, you know, and, and it was it was a really good time. I mean, you, you know, every, they knew who we were and, and we just, you know, we, we, we lived it up like that night very well, you know, and I mean, it was, you know, us guys and, uh, you know, some of us had girlfriends, some of us had multiple girlfriends. I mean, it was, it was really, it was really quite the, quite the event. Um, but you know, the news, the local news was like News channel Two, News channel 20 and all them, they were saying, Oh, that like suddenly they were doing these reports where they said melt st- was an acronym and that it stood for murder every living thing. Now that's positively ridiculous, but when I heard it, I was like, holy shit, I was like, I almost wish I was that smart to have thought of that. <laughs> like, I mean, I don't I didn't want to think of it. But I was like, that whoever came up with that's fucking brilliant. So somebody had some kind of marketing spin going here with this whole thing. But they said that we were gonna stab people with icicles and that if we threw a snowball at you and it hit you, you were marked. I mean, it was just it was this just totally blown out of proportions. So I mean, if you think social media doesn't reflect reality, let me tell you. Back in the days when you had the local news, the local news would sensationalize the shit out of things, and you got nothing remotely close to reality. Um, And eventually, like that night on the 11 o'clock news on that day, they did talk to a couple of friends. Uh, There was actually um, Rich, I I won't reveal his last name, but Rich H, I'll just put it that way, and then uh, Jim B, okay, not Jim Beam, uh, but (laughs) anyway. But Jim B, they were on, uh, they were on that night to kind of talk about it. And I mean, these were, you know, well-respected kids, I mean, who do like tons of community work and everything. I mean, just like, every, we we're all super nice fucking guys. I mean, largely other than me, like I would tirade back then, like I do now, but it was just, it was the craziest thing. And it really started taking off. In fact, there was a local store, a local clothing store that they started selling, uh, uh, uh hoodies, you know, sweatshirts and whatever. That said they were blue, they were a dark blue and with white lettering, which blue and white were the colors for Whitesboro High School uh, that said melt on them. And we, we, you know, in the mall and we went to them in the mall and said, hey, wait a second. You know, what is this? It's like, did you get this from us? This is our this is our shit. And they said, oh, no, no, it's something from fish. I have no fucking clue what what the hell they got that from fish for. Uh, I I think they, they, you know, it just it it took off. It really became this this thing. And. you know, one one of my friends, um, this would be Jim P. He uh, he ended up actually getting expelled because, I mean, he was kind of a kind of a loose cannon, and you know, he just like ran with the whole rebelliousness of it and the fact that, uh, you know, the the, the school principal, Principal Woodcock, that was his real name, Woodcock, uh, <laughs> you know, that like, you know. It was kind of us against him, and all this. I mean, there was detentions flying around, you know, all all this kind of crap. I mean, it was it was really, really, really insane. We ended up in the newspapers. The newspaper they they came right to us at the bowling alley that day and said, "Hey, you know, what's the deal here with this?" And of course, we you know we laid it out straight, saying, "Look, you know, we're just we're tired of getting picked on, and it just felt good, and we wanted to celebrate the fact that we figured out a way peacefully to not get picked on anymore, that we didn't have to fight about it, and and you know, we could just." just live on, you know, it was, it, it, uh, huh. but you know, you, you know, I mean, like as, as fun a story as, as that, and thinking back on it, I mean, it was, it was really wild <laughs> and we did the following year. We, um we actually did melt day two. Uh, there were people that were scared of, um you know, of that year. Like we didn't do any, we, that the following year we actually did have melt day two, but we held it at a local Wendy's, which I could tell you stories about that. Wendy's. Uh, We also did a melt day three the year after. And we were graduated by then. Uh, We never did like a melt day four or five, but I mean like, like, you know, we were almost kind of local celebrities. Like we were called the melt kids. And like, I remember the next year when the freshman kids came up, they're like, Hey, you're the melt kids. And like, people wanted to join up, you know, they're thinking like, it's just kind of like this group, you know, this little cult or something. I don't, I don't know. And and, and, I mean, it, it wasn't a, fucking called, <laughs> but, uh, it was just, it was a, it was a wild time. Um, and you know, just, it's just a fun story, uh, you know, to share. Uh, and, and also it, it just kind of shows that, look, you know, the bullshit, <laughs> I mean, this is why I often compare social media to high school because it feels like high school what happens there you know this person said this and this person said this and oh did you see what that person said blah 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 and then everything gets blown out of proportions and all this shit and you know and and the reality gets lost somewhere in between and that happens in real life that happens in high school you know i I really think there's nothing remotely like you know i feel so bad for kids that still have to go to high school i really do um in fact i've always said the the one thing i wish my parents told me when i went to high school. And that really would have made that whole melt situation, honestly, uh, I mean, it was fun, but when it started, you know, blowing up into the, uh, you know, what, what it ended up becoming, which was a very, you know, seemingly negative things in most people's eyes, uh, which, you know, it was never anything remotely like the news was reporting. Um, you know, I, I really, I wish my parents would have said to me, look, you never have to see these people again, not my friends, but like all the people, you know, you can leave town. You can, or, you know, I mean, like, like you can go to, you can live somewhere else. You can, uh, you know, you, you don't have to go to college with them. You, you know, you like, like these people that picked on you and did all this terrible shit and said all these mean things and did all these mean things. You never have to see them again. Once you graduate, man, if more parents would tell their kids in public school that I think it would just be so much more bearable because then, because then you're just looking at the clock, like saying, yeah, this is almost over, you know, and then I, and then I can live on and move on and not have to worry about this. I mean, even kids like in those situations, like reputation becomes everything. And that's kind of what, you know, got us, uh, you know, even a little scared when suddenly the news was saying that we were going to kill people or something, you know, I mean, we started getting concerned about our reputations and whatever. When look, you know, your reputation in high school is fucking meaningless when you get outside of it. It doesn't mean shit. Just like if you're a big deal on Facebook, you mean nothing in real life. So, so, you know, I, I, mean, I, I guess that's part of why I want to share it. And oh, man, <laughs> it was such a crazy time. I mean, you, you know, you can find out about it. Uh, there, I've seen some links where I think it was like an alien newspaper that talked about it. Um, and, and, and you can find that link on Google, but yeah, it was just, it was crazy. You know, just a bunch of nerds that got tired of getting picked on weren't doing anything violent, figured out a peaceful solution, you know, by just doing something absolutely crazy that they could not expect, you know, that, that these, these other kids, uh, you know, just, just didn't know how to handle. And, uh, you know, and we kind of won the day. I mean, it was in a lot of ways, it was really fun. I mean, it was a hell of a ride, you know, (laughs) and we kind of, I mean, we had that reputation, whatever. And, and uh, sadly, we kind of changed the system in a bad way because then after that, like suddenly the kids had to have, um, transparent backpacks and everything because they thought we were going to do oh so nuts you know but i mean but that that just goes to show like adults can be you know crazier than than kids uh, a million to one so many times so anyway that's my fun little story i had a good time when i was a teenager (laughs) i made sure that despite all the traumas you know that that get inflicted on uh you know on kids that get picked on or whatever i i made sure it still had a good time and tell, you know, if you have kids, tell them. Look, you can have a good time too. Peacefully. You can have a good time. Anyway, there's my story. Woo, well, I had a good time telling it. Maybe I could talk more about it on a Patreon
0: or something. You well, just experience on the other side tech. next tech. Go to sovereigntech.com. That's sovryn techcom And connect with us there. Find links from today's show. And catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the evolution.